Hey, welcome everyone. This is Dan with Spiritual Underground Podcast. Uh, coming to you from on location today. Uh, got a, a special episode up for tonight. And uh, just to be real clean and, and, and open about things, uh, the guest uh, requests have been kind of landing flat here lately. Uh, I don't worry about that. Uh, although that's a partial lie because I can't help but worry about it a little bit. But I, I do practice these principles where I got to let that go. And uh, before every one of these podcasts, I ask uh, God to guide it. And it's his horsepower running the show. And I assume that's how the guests, that's who's managing my guest lineup as well. So uh, I just uh, uh, let that go and roll with it. If you're not, uh, if this might be the first time you've bumped into the Spiritual Underground podcast, uh, typically we are a 12-step recovery-based podcast. Uh, now and again, there will be some variances for that, for, 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 for the vast majority of it. Uh, we have people in to tell their stories, and uh, as uh, the Alcoholics Big Book says, uh, what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like today. But now and again, we kind of want to play around in uh, uh, my sponsor is always uh maybe the biggest catalyst on the the playing around and and taught me to do that too and uh we'll come in here tonight and we'll talk about some stuff uh this is going to be a little bit heavier potentially uh but but we, we one of the things that i've noticed is since running around with the guys i run around with and since meeting my sponsor is that we are allowed we're given permission to talk about the real stuff uh, it's one of the things I like about Bob Earl all the time that, you know, that he says, you know, that, um, that we come in these meetings and people tell us that it, that it ain't about our feelings and uh, we're not supposed to talk about our feelings. And the fact of the matter is my life is over, overwhelmingly ran by how I feel. And if I can't talk about my feelings, uh, that sounds a whole lot like what led me to, to, the, to the bottom that I hit. Uh, was stuffing all my trash can full of stuff and not allowing, not not giving myself permission to talk about it. Uh, I told Christopher at the beginning of this week he's gonna. I uh, had a, I have something that that I took the other day and uh, the location we are coming from today, we're straight out of Arkansas. And I heard a guy say that the other day, and he said it was yesterday, and we had this podcast planned. And I thought, yeah, that is a good that be that might be the title of uh, of this podcast, Dark and Saul. So we'll get this show on the road. Uh, I'll add on any commercials, any kind of thing like that. I might sometimes I just skip those. Uh, how you doing tonight, Chris? Juicing, feeling really good. And uh, we got the whole setup over here. We got the uh, one strand of lights in the window. We've got the 4K big screen YouTube fireplace roaring. <laughs> We're having our virtual merry holiday over here, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that is a big fire, and it's cool. It, it does it. No doubt about that. It makes sets some uh, ambiance in here. You know, I will always, I will never. You know, events happen in your life, like when JFK died. I'm too young to remember that. When the Challenger crashed, when the 9/11 things, and there's some other events that's happened in my life, and one of them is uh, coming here to do my fist step. Uh, it, this this spot is a sacred spot to me as a result of that, and I've been over here to visit quite a few times also, so I get to keep on adding to that. But uh, uh, anytime I'm here, that's what what hits me. That's uh, so cool. Every single time. 
A lot of men had sat, sat exactly where you're sitting. I just had a man sitting there two weeks ago doing his fist step. Yeah, all that residual I, energy that stays with with the local when the where that event happens. I think that's cool. You know what I love though, and we talk about those moments of awakening. And I know you just did one with Travis at your cabin. Um, one of the gifts that I'm allowed to give today that I certainly didn't have any power to give before this program was letting a man get free that he's just not so weird or odd or different or freaky or perverse or whatever words you want to put on it and to find out that you know he's already been forgiven he's he's uh, made mistakes that's all it is and uh and finding out it's okay just this sense of because what my sponsee was telling me from his last fist step was it's been two or three weeks now and he's still floating on air mm. that he just feels so much lighter and that's yeah, the word lighter. i always use to describe it and um, I find that to be a, th a thread for a lot of the people that do their fist step is this, that weight they didn't know they were carrying, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good say. It's definitely the term I use whenever uh, uh, I can I can sense the lightness of the being the next day. That that joke I always tell that uh, it come out organically the first time I told it, but uh, that I wake up with a different man than I went to bed with. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And, and, I, and I really do. There's, it's, 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 an, it's, a, it's, it's a magical process. It's amazing. Uh, and I still, I, I think there is something to that, you know, that Travis was my 21st fifth step at the cabin. Wow. And then not to mention uh, eight or so men's retreats and various other recovery activities that I've done down there, be it small or, or big deer hunts and 4th of July parties and uh, there really truly is a energy of that building up down there, you know, and uh, I guess I kind of, you don't think about it too much because like when you go to Gethsemane, you feel it there too, right? Sure, I mean, there is absolutely. a spiritual presence no at that, that place, you know, and you go to other places, you go up to Mount St. Francis in Floyd Knobs and there's a spiritual presence that you feel, you know, now I think at some level you got to kind of be in tune with that, but even if you're not in tune with that, I f could remember going to places where I felt that, like a reverence or something. Yeah, you know, and and that aura has uh, has wrapped itself around the the cabin in the grounds, you know, and and the guys that come down there and do that fist step, like Travis said, he went out in the woods in the dark. Um, that night happened to be the night all the tornadoes were running down through southern Kentucky, so the sky was a light show of thunder of of lightning, uh, lightning and thunder, while he's. Uh, doing his seven step prayer and you know and and he talked about like the cleanse you know that's like ozone is in the lightning right and that's a cleansing action of mother nature and that that you know like a, a cleansing of mm -hmm. his uh soul while he was out there doing that you know and uh you know you taught me this too this this these odd natural things that will happen while somebody's doing something, you know, uh, Justin's bird, you know, uh, well, one first time I went to Gethsemane and yeah, I was redoing my, uh, reconfirming my seven step prayer up on the hill after everybody left and we couldn't heart, we almost had to hold on to each other to keep from blowing off the top of that hill. <laughs> and when I got down with that seven step prayer, it was still up on top of that hill. Uh, the air had ceased moving, and time after time after time, 
those uh, I guess it's a little bit like a burning bush thing described in the Bible this this actual uh, see it see it feel it taste it uh, energy that that higher power higher power attaboy that confirmation that this feeling that you have is real you when you were saying that the 60s song went through my head signs signs everywhere are signs now it's about man-made signs and yep. polluting the sky and everything but uh Still. if you're tuned in yeah you begin to see signs that you didn't know were there that's part of that awakening process yeah. Yeah. and not realizing how asleep we've been in this sort of matrix kind of life but when you talked about the lightning that's very apropos for what we're going to discuss tonight about the darkness uh, because everybody immediately assumes, you know, well, lightning is destructive. It causes wildfires. It causes wreckage. And and yet you're saying it's nature's way of cleansing the atmosphere of the ozone or whatever. Yeah. And, it actually um, uses ozone. It it's creates a function. it. Yeah. It's a functioning part of nature yeah. that's necessary for uh, the balance of everything, right? Yeah, right. And yet we view it as a bad thing. Yeah. But it's it, it's a dark thing that serves a purpose which is kind of what we're getting at with this yep. podcast. Uh, it's probably so. no more, you know, it's a really good uh, example of the light from the dark. Kind yes, of thing, you exactly. Know, the, the, the lightning comes from those dark clouds and uh, like that in the nighttime when you get them flashes of light where you get that daylight sense almost for just a second when that flashes through the night. Uh, and I've always loved that. <laughs> nighttime thunderstorms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've never been scared of them. No. Uh, you know, I go, usually what I try to do is go get a front row seat someplace safe. <laughs> but, but. No, we were idiots when we were kids living out in the country. We would go up on the roof and watch them. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Until last minute or mother's, mother's yelling, get out of the house, what yeah. the row with you? <laughs> yeah, just about last minute. Yeah. Uh, until it flashed and scared the shit out of us and we'd run the other direction. Well, there's a, I learned a million I guess you might call uh, I don't want to say cliche because cliche lightens it like it's not true at least in my mind makes it sound like it's something that's not true uh, but you know the whole thing about the the light and the darkness and you know it comes all the way from biblical writing to today you know the stuff about you know the, it's the uh, cracks where the that lets the light in and uh, we have to know some darkness in order to know the light and um I certainly, growing up, could, uh, it's all rearview mirror stuff, obviously, but I thought that something was wrong with me. And, and probably if somebody would have talked to me, if I would have done something like ask for help, uh, I'm, I, I'm sure some, um, I would have been diagnosed with some level of depression. Uh, but, I, I, and this is pre-using age, you know, this was not. This was uh, probably teenage hormones and that kind of thing is probably the underline. And, you know, just how tough that is. I have a couple of teenagers and watching them navigate uh, life today. Uh, it, it was, you know, a whole lot of similarities of uh, the, that core thing of feeling like you're not fitting in. That somehow you're different. And uh, before the show here, we were playing a little bit of uh, that Pink Floyd and uh, from the wall. And uh, I, I forgot what the name of that song is, but he says... Uh, one of my twists, I believe. Yeah, some, one of my turns. Yeah, one of my turns. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
and the dark places I went to in my head by myself when I was a when I was a teenager, uh, and again I don't know, might have been ten years old, of uh, sitting back in my bedroom listening to Pink Floyd, and basically almost getting lulled into a deep depression, mm-hmm. to where uh, you know suicidal thoughts would would come would come with that stuff, and. Uh, I have a couple of different memories of it, particularly I can, like I said, remember sitting in my bedroom and I remember a really long car ride we went on at some point and, you know, had a little Walkman back then and, uh, and, and would just listen to that stuff on a loop, almost like it was, you know, almost like it was getting you high in a way, you know, and it was, it was changing the way I felt. Uh, at some level, I must have desired that or I would not have continued to do it, you know, uh, Something I don't something does that to me today. Most of the time, I will put the brakes on that. <laughs> uh, but I would actually you know, took some level. Uh, it's not the right word, but took some level of uh, pleasure uh, going to that dark place. Uh, didn't like it to be interrupted. And uh, and those events would, would would come back. You know, that same feeling would come back whenever I got myself in a pickle. Or, you know, where you started to beat yourself up over getting in trouble again. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, as crazy as it sounds to me today, you know, some girl broke up with me and I think it's the end of the world, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But what's interesting, and you may agree with this, um, is that you probably had the initial thought almost naturally, and I don't know if it's from their programming or what, that well, this is a feeling I should hide away from others. Yeah, definitely, this is something I should isolate with and best definitely not share because exactly they're going right. to think I'm weird or they're going to be concerned about me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, absolutely. I, I knew that was something I couldn't let anybody else see. Couldn't let anybody. That's a powerful statement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't share with my so-called friends that you know that was completely hidden. It's almost a private relationship you can have with your darkness sometimes. Yeah. You get deep down into depression. It's it's it knows you, you know it. You're having this symbiotic dialogue with it all alone, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly right. And yeah, if you I remember times when I was foolish enough to actually try and share that with a girlfriend when I was in the throes of my using. And I remember watching their eyes getting wider and wider and then pulling slowly away until they're excusing themselves to leave for some reason. And I'd be like, what, what? (laughs) Um, And once more, there's more uh, training, programming. Yeah, that is more conditioning okay that says, you know, else. yeah, I can't. Don't say I can't, that to the next girl. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> um, but the whole point of us bringing this up, in case uh, we haven't made it clear yet, is that during the holidays, everyone, I think, goes through a certain degree of, there's so many expectations built on the holidays, and there's mm-hmm. so much pressure and stress in our culture, in America especially, on that materialism and getting all your gifts and this year with the freaking supply shortages. Oh my God, if I don't get that gift for my kid, I'm gonna be a bad father kind of crap. And um, and I was listening to Bill Burr, I think it was, on his podcast the other day when he was talking about, yeah, it's all great and I've got all my gifts. And it says, but it's just kind of crazy how you go to all this work and all this pressure. And then by two o'clock on Saturday, on, on two o'clock on Christmas afternoon, you're sitting there going, 
well, it's all over now. Just look at a bunch of wrapping on the floor and, you know, got to go back to work the next day or whatever. And that, but that expectation that it's got to be this day that's exceptional beyond other days. And so what Dan and I were discussing for this podcast is we wanted to create a forum to sort of exorcise, not exercise, but exorcise some of these uh, demons so that people know it's okay to talk about it. People know it's okay. You need to share that. Don't keep it alone. You need to um, honor it because the pressure to have to fit in and be holly jolly and all that is very strong. It is. But that's unrealistic because there are real people suffering right now. Now, you just mentioned earlier about the tornadoes, so you were diving in deep before I even got to that on my notes over there, but I was definitely going to address that because we just went through a horrible, horrific experience in, in our state of these massive tornadoes that, frankly, they're saying that one went further than anyone's ever been recorded. And uh, I was watching the trajectory of it on the map, and, you know, Everything's always about me, right? That's how we are as human beings. That's yeah. how we are as alcoholics. And I was trying to measure how close it came to Jefferson County. Mm. And what if it had started, you know, just 50 miles later, you know, and still had that trajectory towards us. And I live on the top floor here. <laughs> and I was dead asleep. So I know I would have been ashes. Yeah, with that kind of power, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Everything just, was just level. Just level. There's Anything nothing left. Path, yeah. And you listen to those poor people... The idea of building back, how? How can you build back when there's supply issues? Yeah. People can't issues. even... Yeah, exactly right. And labor issues and supply issues. What are you going to build back with? I and mean, who's going to do it? To, I, I sit there and I weigh that darkness, and not obsessively, but just you have to you have to have a compassion for these mm -hmm. poor people, what they went through, to just sit there and smile. And say, Everything's okay. It's Christmas for me. No, fuck you, dude. These poor people don't have no home. Not only that, they have no church, they have no school, they have no job. It's all been obliterated yeah. to the ground. How do you build back from that? How does anyone possibly build back from that? Yeah, not to mention the loss of lives and, yeah. and and throw that in there too, you know. And I the PTSD, my, having my, lived through the storm. Yeah. And now you, any sound is going to set you off that you're going to re remember all that. It's just unimaginable. It really and, is unimaginable. Uh, and then, you know, during the holidays, too, and I remember, I mean, if we're going dark, let's go dark. Fucking four or five-month-year-old child was killed in that. Now, I've had spiritual teachers, and they're very evolved. And I try hard to listen and learn. I really do. And they say things like, you know, every soul has the blueprint. And, you know, if they fulfilled their blueprint, then they're going to move on to the next level the next sphere whatever it is and continue their journey and we don't know, get to know what that is but they served their purpose while they were here and i'm sitting here going hold up yeah this is a four month year old child how the fuck did it even have a chance yeah that's hard to, to serve its purpose and i know i'm not the only one watching the news and thinking that right yeah. like what kind of world what kind of god would let a four month old perish in such a way yeah without even having a chance so when we're talking about darkness, this is a very real side of if you're going to be breathing and above ground, you're going to have to deal with this shit. And how do I reconcile that in my mind and stay sober for us and still have a positive outlook that there's a purpose to life and I have a, a, a place in all that yeah, yeah. when such random shit can happen. And not get swallowed up and, by it. And you know, the main question that kept occurring to me, because I'm just the way my brain works, why them and why not me? Hmm. Why them and why not me? I mean, we live so close to each other. 
those poor people. Random, you know. I mean, yeah. There's really and a lot of them are a lot of them are much better hearts than I am based on my past. You know, (laughs) like I probably deserve more to go than some of those people. Yeah. And yeah, you got to just go. It just makes it boggles the mind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they can predict when you know where the worst part of a hurricane is coming in Mm -hmm. at. You know, they can predict storms. but they cannot predict that path where a tornado or multiple tornadoes is just a single one, wasn't it? Because sometimes you yeah, know, the one that did the most damage down in Mayfield. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a freaking two hundred and something another miles long, a continuous. That's what I think that was that's the right, longest continuous touchdown. You know where it stayed on the ground. And the guy that spotted it said it was massive. Like there's no way you're going anywhere. It's yeah. so wide. Yeah, you know, part of the darkness too is is a. Uh, I want to see pictures of it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's uh, natural. Yeah. Well, I want to see it. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's like, dang, I have it at night and there ain't going to be no damn pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, nature's fury or wrath or majesty, based on whether it hits your house or yeah, not, right. right? You know, if it hits the dark guy's house, hey, that's beautiful. Uh, not necessarily beautiful, but you know what I mean. Uh, it is wonder. It's wonder month. You just sit there and go, that's just, that's a power greater than me. When we get these guys coming to the program and they say, I just don't understand this God concept. And, you know, I'm like, well, higher power. What? Yeah, you don't believe you're the greatest power. Well, no, they can get with that, right? Because nobody's going to say, yeah, I think I'm the greatest power and really with a straight face be able to say that. Uh, And yet, that power is much more massive than all of us combined in our group. Yeah, that's a really good example, no doubt. And that that probably will be some ammunition down the road when we get to talking to higher power issues. Uh, Fortunately, I don't have too many people that are actually abjectly, you know, opposed to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, mostly what I run into, and you know, I'm doing with this every day in group. I mean, every day I'll get a new person come in, and their main hang-up with AA and recovery is the God stuff. Yeah, yeah, we. Oh, yeah. And since it's the God stuff, and we talk about in TSSR our programming. It's so fucking strong that as soon as they hear God, they think religion. They yep. think religion. They think religion. And yep. also, all of a sudden, AA is a religious program. And I'll go, well, that's not going to work because if it was religious, I sure as fuck don't belong in it. <laughs> and I said, and I like to try and crack them up and give them some perspective because they're so set with that mindset. I got to kind of come from an angle that's going to throw them off guard. So I'll say, well... <laughs> If religious is having a God that you can tell to fuck off, then that's what I belong to. Is I have a higher power that I can say, fuck you, man. Yeah. Those people shouldn't have died in that tornado. Right. And that's what we have with our own conception yeah. of a higher power. Right. You know? break down so if you that. can find me a church where that's okay and I can stand up and say, fuck you, God. Hey, I'll go to that church. Yeah. I mean, not even unity, I don't think, would be cool with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember when Ray would always say that, well, there is one church where you can have your own conception. Yeah, but Ray, I don't think yeah. cursing God There's is probably going to be... still some boundaries on that. That's going to be too dark <laughs> for the congregation. Yeah. I'd like to testify this week, uh, fuck you, God, and fuck you all, and you're cool, but fuck you. <laughs> um. Have a tornado story, and I've yeah. told a few times. You know, every time there is one, for whatever reason, it comes back. You know, and it, and it kind of goes to that. Uh, I, I giggle in a way because it has a, it has a programming piece of me, and that when I was a little kid, I had a imaginary friend named Dean, and I would talk about him, and like all my family's old enough to remember remembers Dean, 
and the tornadoes that come through, I think it was in 1973, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's 74, April, it 74, April 3rd, so 1974. Five. Never forget it. And, uh, and uh, my story that I made up, you know, that I told mom and dad was that Dean went out to help the tornado victims. Hmm. He was out helping people. And, uh, and he never came home that night. Hmm. And I had turned loose my imaginary friend that night. Well, unbeknownst, you know, I mean, I'm not, this is stories that's been told to me because I don't really, rem you know, huh. I remember a little bit of the imaginary friend period time, you know. Uh, I had a younger brother, but he was usually too young to, like, play with me, right, at that age. He was 30 months, two and a half years younger than me. Uh, so I made up my own playmate. And, uh, and however I, you know, that was how I extinguished him, him <laughs> to, for lack of any better words. Uh, was during those tornadoes. So anytime one comes up, I, I think about that story and that. Uh, and about how, like, I'm <coughs> now as this, like, you know, created this safe person to play with. Right. You know. Best friend. That would not betray me. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be me. Uh, and you think about how early you are to begin, and, and I know that you know it wasn't too far after that. It was in that play range that I had another friend that started doing things that wasn't safe, uh, and you know, or certainly didn't make me feel safe. And uh, it's interesting how that that come up and 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 separated at that time why I sent him into a tornado. Um, I mean, to me, it's symbolic, and maybe you haven't thought of this angle, but it, it sounds like a loss of innocence at that moment for you. That's a very good so point. So turning your kind of childhood at was that. friend loose was like seeing the world ain't so safe, ain't so pretty. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know why. Uh, biblical stuff keeps on hitting me, you know? And, I, uh -huh. and uh, that's another funny thing, because when we talk about this higher power stuff, and I will use biblical stories sometimes, you know, because no different than I would use a Buddhist story or any other sure. ancient spiritual They're teaching allegories. coming down the pipe. But uh, boom, there I was. See, I knew it. You know, my new guy, here he is talking about the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, when 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 uh, Adam got naked, mm -hmm. you know, when he, when he realized he was naked, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, maybe it's like I realized I was naked, that the world really is, big bad world really is out here. It's one of my favorite book titles. The book was, well, it might appeal to somebody, but for me it didn't. But the title was, Who Told You You Were Naked? Yeah. And that's a whole bit of programming right there, right? Yeah, that we're yeah. supposed to be ashamed of our bodies and shit. And they've actually turned that into a dark thing. Here's the crazy thing about our country, if we were going to talk darkness. We can watch hours of blood and guts and people being destroyed and CSI autopsy and homicidal psychopathic bullshit, right? And that's not obscene. And Negan smashed God the forbid, his eye pops right, out. Right, 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 right. <laughs> But God forbid we should see a woman's breast yeah. breastfeeding a child. Yeah. And that's obscene. How twisted has yep, that, that is, is that stuff? That is what is acceptable as a... And I grew up with a lot of that, actually, um, not intentionally. My family was not, especially my immediate parents, were not hyper on, against sex, nakedness, whatever. But my grandmother was very puritanical, old school. And she ruled the roost. She was the matriarch of the family over everyone else. 
and it was very, um, it, you know, I don't know if I'd use the word dirty, but it sure I sure got that impression, you know, that you know, what's appropriate, what's not, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, somewhere in there, we all get taught that shame comes up, shame yeah. of our own bodies, shame of uh, sexual desires, shame of our behaviors around sex. Which, of course, Bill Wilson and his prophetic genius, how the fuck did this guy in 1935 had the balls to know that we were going to need a sex inventory? Yeah. Right? That is. That's... And to know that that was part of our spirituality. I love that in the TSSR book where I'm like, well, yep, yeah, as part of your spirituality, we're going to talk about sex. And people are like, what? Say, so, oh, God. I mean, it's such a big part of who we are as expressive beings expressing our innerest most essence because it's an intimacy right ultimately when sex is done in a very uh healthy manner yeah healthy and committed and you know you're building a relationship with someone not just trying to get off um and yet there again we're taught to suppress oh yeah big time not talk which about is it the, hide it you know go, you which is the main cause of all the phobias around sex this was established in freud's time I mean, that's how long we've known this, 120 years now, that, that, that when you smash that down in a child, it creates a phobia and or a fetish around that. I'll never forget the story I heard from a woman speaker. She was talking about, and I was so glad it came from a woman too, because I thought that made it extra cool. She was talking about some of the fucked up sex ideas she got, um, and she didn't uncover till her inventory, you know, because she always thought she was just weird or just wouldn't share it with anybody, obviously. But... Um, she would get in trouble and to punish her it was very abusive kind of they would lock her in this closet which was pitch black <laughs> terrifying God. i know right and she and she's and this is like old school what the fuck how do you treat a child like this but how many of us have stories like that right and um she had no other comfort in that fucking closet except there was a rubber boot mm. and this rubber boot she learned and she's young six seven i mean children learn about their sexuality early she learned that if she rubbed on it, it made her feel good. And it was a soothing behavior, right? Because she's terrified. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what is that doing? That's going to build up this whole fetish around rubber, which, you know, that's a whole camp of people who do that stuff. I don't understand it, but do, go do your thing. Yeah. And, um, but it came from natural causes, if you think about the evolution of that. And that's what I love in the fifth step when you get to sort of break things down for a guy and say, well, first of all, a lot of the guys I've worked with have had that. I've had issues with that. Let's get on the table and let's look at where it came from because ultimately it wasn't your fault. You were taught that in some way by some experience. Um, and that's why I like the way we do it in TSSR um, with the whole sex inventory of the history. You know, I know so many people in AA who have only done their sex harms as their yeah, inventory. Right. Yeah, That's yeah. all they do is write down the things that they were wrong. Like, well, I flipped around my wife and I screwed the secretary yeah. and blah, 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 blah. But they don't look at how they got to be in, in that place where they would cheat on their wife. What came before? Let's talk about pornography. Let's talk about your childhood experiences like you had that terrible trauma. Let's talk about all that stuff that went into making you not necessarily find your ideal sexual outlet which yeah. is what the inventory is for so we can build our ideal of what our sex is going to be in, in, in recovery yeah. and I would say that we're almost prohibited from building that health in any kind of healthy manner you have to have some pretty to involved nowadays. parents to be able to, to <laughs> grow up that way to where it was where you would actually begin to think because uh, I mean you know 
even like you walk in on your parents and you're a little kid, man, mm-hmm. it goes into a hiding phase, you know, and you know, you're yelled to leave and you know, yelled you know something is going on in there. You yelled know, at or they're covering up, right? Even yeah. if it's just walking in when they're naked, they're yeah, covering, they're covering up, like up. up. It's bad or shameful or whatever. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what we're doing it in our culture, though, I go back to that television. <laughs> so you can see everything else except yeah. the human body, right. which is supposed to be given by God, which is supposed to be a creation of beauty. And all the great artists, I mean, go look at Michelangelo's right. David. His yep. dick is hanging right out. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you know, what are we talking yep. about here? Yeah. But you know, a guy can't show that on TV. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. Absolutely crazy. So what are you doing? You're building that, not only a phobia, but a keener curiosity. Because for any child, something that's hidden or kept oh, yeah. away is going to yeah. make them more drawn to it. How many times have we heard that story in the program? People are warned, don't do drugs, don't yeah. do drugs. Then they get curious, like, well, why are they telling me not to do it? Yeah, Sounds like something pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And don't have sex. and uh, Yeah. You know, what, for whatever reason, it crossed my mind, too, that, like, the weird thing, it seems weird to me that, like, that you have that, you know, naked is bad, naked is bad, naked is bad. And then you like get into the seventh, eighth grade, whatever grade it is, where you end up having these gym classes. Yeah. And now they're going to me stand in this goddamn room with, with a everybody bunch of strangers. Naked. Yeah. <laughs> you no know, shit. and I just met these guys. Maybe there's a half a dozen of them that came from my elementary school with me. You know, <laughs> and, and where they're going to stand you all in here naked. Mm-hmm. It's, it seems insane. It was, and of course that leads to bullying and taunting and, and comparing and right all off, that other yeah. stuff that goes on. Yeah. You know, and I know guys like you know, and that that still carry that. Oh sure, you know, absolutely. Uh, and I want not to say that I don't, but I'm relatively comfortable in that regard today. I don't get too worried about it. I'm getting some situations in hunting camp, and you don't have no, you know, I'm not going to wait for a private place to put change my clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I've had people. I have some guys that come down to hunting camp are waiting for the. Private, the one private room in the building to open up before <laughs> they're going to change. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, I just. Um, but you guarantee at some point that you know if you're going to have some somebody traumatize them by you know making fun of the size of their penis or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and yes, okay. That'll, it's kind of be the it, end of that. I think it comes with age that you get more comfortable. Well, that's a kind of a given. You get more comfortable with everything, really. Because, yeah. you know, talking to my to mom, who's 86, and, you know, bodily functions are like, hey, kid, you better get used to it when you get to live live, live this long and go through opera and open yeah. heart surgery like she did this year. Um, but I would observe at the gym when I um, before they tore it down recently in the pandemic and shit. Um, old guys don't give a shit, man. They just fucking shower and whatever, you know. And then these young guys come in, they're all, like, spooked out. Because there's an old man in the shower naked, you know. It's like, yeah, well, yep. there definitely is. How do you fuck do you take a shower at home? Do you fucking wear your clothes in the shower? <laughs> yep. I was thinking about that with words the other day, too. You know how many times I've had to remember, you know, the old generation, whether it's grandma, grandpa, or whatever, says something off color, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, uh, everybody, you know, the younger's like, Dad, don't you know? Dad, you shouldn't. You know, and and he could care less. And like most time, Grandma, she's not even reacting either because they're up to that. I don't give a fuck age. You know, like you know, I don't. I'm not. I'm not walk around here watching my. I don't know. Maybe it's when you go through a couple of colonoscopies and a few other procedures, you just be like, whatever, dude. It's just my body. What are you gonna do? Like I have a, I have a female doctor. And there is nothing sexual. There is nothing sexual about her examining me. I can tell. I can assure you. Um, 
but I'm, I'm like, whatever, dude, check out my, my sack. I want to know if I have cancer. Yeah. You know, make sure I'm okay. Right. Yep. You know, what yeah, do you got to do? I've had a male doctor. Put all your my finger up life. there. Okay. Whatever. Until my last appointment. Because my, my doctor, uh, uh, gave the healthcare system the middle finger and said, I'm good enough from here. I'm out. Young guy. You know, and uh, we'll go in there for the first time. And it was, you know, I wasn't completely comfortable. I pretended like I was, and I had to get comfortable with it or change doctors or something. But well, the moment I think is funny is the... She was wait, funny about things. Huh? She was joking about things. Oh, you know, yeah. She was, made, her made it easier, honey. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're talking about darkness, and we're talking about... I mean, first of all, in the meeting this last Thursday, we talked about what my old teacher would say, we're, hum, we're spiritual beings having a human experience, not mm -hmm. human beings having a spiritual experience. Right. And so we're meant to go through all these things. We're meant to learn humility. We're meant to learn having to ask for help, having to let someone help you. Mm -hmm. This is, of course, one of the biggest hurdles for my fucking patients. And I'm like, dude, stop it. This is your time to receive, okay? Get it through your head. Let people help you now, but they can't. Yeah. You know, they can't. They gotta have that control. Yeah. So, that but that humility, thing. I think, is the funniest part because I'm really not bothered by the bend over and let me stick your finger up because it's like, well, here it comes. But I'm. It's when you're sitting there with no clothes on and you're a little little smock, and you're on that little table, and you're like doing your feet back and yeah. forth, you yeah. know, and, and you're like, you're like, <laughs> you wonder when you're gonna come the fuck in here because yeah. I'm almost naked and I'm waiting for you to fucking look at me. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. the moment when you come in. You're like, hey. How are you? Good to see you. And you're like, ah, let's just get this over with. <laughs> that one drawer down there is always three inches below your feet. Yeah, you know, exactly. You can't rest your feet. Exactly. It's no, you just turn you like, pull out like you're a little kid yeah. sitting on the edge of the table. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then the other moment, of course, as long as we're getting real honest and dark when they when they cream you up for the finger oh, yeah. exam, and then they say, here's a box of tissues. Yeah. You're like, dude, am I going to stand here in front of you and wipe my ass? That is really fucking embarrassing. Yeah. 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 I almost feel like he throws it. It's like, you know, if you're going to examine me and I'm going to pay you, why don't you wipe for yeah. me? Well, yeah. Well, as, a you take as a care courtesy, of that? as a courtesy, man. You made the mess. You I used to go to this doctor, a male doctor. He used to use way too much. And you were like, God damn. He's there cleaning it up, cleaning it up. And again, these are very real human experiences. But I'm going to ask the audience to think right now when was the last time you actually talked to somebody about doing this? Or do we just go through this and go, well, it's just part of life. Well, I don't know. Isn't recovery sharing your experiences and talking about what you go through? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's hit me a bunch lately is these boundaries on what we can talk about, what you're comfortable talking about and what you're not. And yeah. I'll do a little experiments once in a while in my little group video chat. and <laughs> You just throw, throw something, something out. Way out there. and rattle know? people. And, uh, and, you know, and I can feel it sometimes. Like I'll post one. And there won't be nobody saying anything for a little while. You know, they're like, I ain't touching that. You shut them and, up. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. And I said, uh, and I really don't mind saying it because it really was a true experience experiment that I played with. But I listened to a bunch of Dave Chappelle stuff. So I used the N-word a few times in there. And I mean, it was you, you could feel <laughs> the vibration, the rumble go through of like... You know, uh, the boundary I had just crossed, you know, and, and I made that point, too. I was like, you know, we're supposed to be able to say anything we want to in here and be safe. You know, where, well, what is this? Where's the line at? Uh, Y'all know I'm not racist. Right. You know, uh, it's an interesting experiment, isn't it? Yeah. Because you just got through listening to a special with if you added it up, how many times the word was said. And I get it. He's allowed to say it. I get it. 
But then the you got best to... joke in the whole show, though, was that he said he got in trouble for saying faggot. Yeah. And they called him in, and they told him that he needed to rewrite his script, and he could take that out. He needed to take that out. And he's like, yeah, okay, no big deal, but I do have one question. And she said, what? And he said, uh, you, I can say the N-word with impunity. And but but I can't say the F word, the faggot word. And she goes, Dave, you are not gay. <laughs> and he said, I am not an N word either. <laughs> oh, sweet. Yeah, Great oh, joke. beautiful. That you know. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome joke. I um, I mean, we're getting in dicey territory here, but. Um, I totally understand the hurt and the pain behind that. Absolutely. And, and and it is not a part is, of my language. It's, it is real clear, though. I mean, I could just be in the mall and walk past a couple of kids, and I can hear them say, oh, you're my nigga. <laughs> yeah. And it's not derogatory. They're just being friendly. They're just talking, right? And then there's times you know that was a that was a slander. That oh, was yeah. a hurtful, it's clear when cutting it's used one way, or the other. way of using it, right? Yep. Um, and... It's just generally this idea of free expression, which of course is going through some interesting phases in our country right now yes, it with is. political correctness and not wanting to offend anybody. I would make the argument that offending, offense can, can generate conversation. Offense can actually di create a dialogue. And if you listen to any expert, and believe me, I'm a social worker. I've been through all the social work classes on this. Um, that the way to create dialogue is where people feel safe to be honest. Yeah. And as long as we're in our own little bubbles and we're not allowed to talk and we can't say things, then there's always going to be that gap of misunderstanding and us not being able to truly get along because there's that dishonesty. And I've talked to a lot of my friends, African-American friends, who will say that's the worst kind of racism, where it's secret and you know it's there. Covert. Yeah, when it's out in the open, they're like, well, okay, I can deal with that. I know, fuck, I mean, shit. I've been yeah. doing it my whole life, right? But that secret, under, and, the, and you can't really pin it down. And, uh, you know, we live in the South here, and I grew up seeing a lot of that, and it would just make me cringe. Because I'd be like, well, how the fuck are you going to be, like, one way with a guy, and, like, you're his buddy, and you can say that shit behind his back, man. Yeah. And it's just a joke, but it's still hurtful. It's that good old boy shit, yeah. you know? And uh, well, I have some training like that growing up. I had a couple uncles that used it in the derogatory way, plainly. Old school, yeah. old school, you know. And uh, and you know, and and I, you know, I was taught. My parents taught me, you know, that that wasn't right, you know, and we're not going to do that, you know. But you, know, well, you get I mean, around well, you your buddies put... over in the corner, and you're at the ballpark, you know, and you're wanting to show off, and you're wanting to, you know, uh, there I be using up my uncle's language because gave me some street cred you know i mean we're gonna put it all the way out there we are from the state where old papa john's lost his career over it yeah now i don't want to defend papa john because i he's kind of an odd duck <laughs> but i don't know if he used it in a training like he says or how he used yeah. it you know who's to say yeah. in this culture you make one false move and yeah, everybody flips out this cancel thing there's man. no uh, room to be human right. there's no room to say you know what i made a mistake i'd like to correct that and make amends <laughs> no we're at a cancel you you're yeah. out yeah. and uh and this gets you it squashes dialogue it exactly. squashes the ability for us to share and get to know each other better yeah that's exactly where i was heading to is it uh it creates this uh i, I need to I, I need to be very 
precise and, and very careful with any words I say so that I don't end up tripping over myself because if I do, uh, these repercussions come out and severe, uh, severe, severe repercussions. repercussions. Versus, um, can we talk about this and try and find a middle ground and find a place where we both can understand each other better? Yeah. Um, this is going to sound totally odd, and I'm almost afraid to put it out there. Uh, but since we're going for the darkness and trying to exorcise these demons, folks, um, probably the worst target for all the ire of political correctness is the white, red-blooded American male. Yeah. Especially older white. Okay, that's me. I'm 59. Yeah. Going to be 60. And so what's happened to me in my lifetime, I'm very sensitive. I'm, a, I'm an empath, obviously. I'm in the field of therapy, and I use it all the time. And um, I can feel things, you know. I feel energy. I can, I'm very intuitive. You've seen me be able to read people and do shit. And you're like, how the fuck does he know that? Heck yeah. And uh, there has been so many times in my life as I'm walking down the street, at the store, at the gas station, a person can take one look at me. White guy in a dress shirt with khakis and racist <laughs> or nerd or can't dance. Yeah. Certainly can't play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and all these assumptions now, that's stereotypical, right? That's prejudice. That's yep. making up your mind before you even say two words to me about who I am. And yet there's no dialogue because there's no even ground. And I get it because of the power structure, because the white man has had all this uneven yeah, right. advantage, and we are privileged beyond belief. And I'm telling you, even as advanced as I was, my parents went to the March on Washington with, with Martin Luther King against my grandparents demanding that they were going to be hurt or some bad thing was going to happen because of all the riots that were going on in the 60s. But they felt obligated to go to that and show force and unity. So I was raised in a very open, liberal environment with all that. Um, but as you go through experiences, like in Kentucky, we had uh, busing here before a lot of other states did. And I unfortunately got my card pulled the very first year because my last name began with C. So I guess this was in 1974 or 75, whenever it started, after it was voted the Supreme Court, whatever, all that bullshit. And so we had like cop cars following our buses and people picketing and going crazy and losing their minds. And ultimately what happened, you know what happened with that experiment with the busing? They took all the kids at that urban school and sent them out to our school in the suburban part. And they took all of us and put us down at that school and it was not racially diverse. <laughs> it's mostly white traded, down here. Traded houses. <laughs> we did. We're mostly, and we had a three-hour bus ride between both. Going to your school, then going down there, and then going, yeah. I mean, it was just like, for what? Yeah. It did not create any racial understanding or harmony between any of us. Um, and I experienced prejudice, you know, because, you know, what are y'all doing out here? This is our neighborhood, you know, same as I'm sure they experienced going yep. out to my school. Yep. yep. And yeah. so, And when I crazy. go to certain neighborhoods to work, uh, my guard goes up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I can't help it. And I'm sure if a African-American man showed up at the door as a handyman at some of the houses I work at, the, <laughs> the opposite would happen. Yeah. Which is sad, but yep, it is. But that's why I love Dave Chappelle because he cuts through all that shit. Even he when does, he was doing his show at the beginning, he was just like challenging truth. He was challenging our norms. Yeah. Challenging. I mean, whenever he would dress as a white man, uh, I remember one sketch he did at the like Kinko's type place, the copy place, and he was a manager. And it's just like he's just skewering 
all these stereotypes yeah. that we have about people, both white and black. And yeah, yeah he is. He's uh, a truth teller, man. Yeah. And that's why they want to crucify him because he is a truth yeah, teller. And they're trying. You know, but the funny thing is, it's a uh, that kind of truth teller so far has been able to maneuver and dodge all their swords. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think you're onto something there, though. With that, I hadn't thought that this fact of that. Um, you know, we say we got to be rigorously honest. One of the things that we got to do here in order to break through this cycle that we come out of is honesty. It's just a requirement, you know. It's, and tell our stories, right? Uh, Isn't that our tradition yeah. of recovery? Is we share our yeah. stories. That's well, you how get we... your new guy, you know, and then that it's still my favorite line in the big book. Of course, you know, I've only got about seventy-five <laughs> or eighty my favorite lines. Uh, it's just whichever one is the favorite one at the moment. But that line that says, uh, "Sometimes he may tell the truth," and and building that relationship with somebody so that they can begin to feel safe enough with you to actually tell you the truth because in the beginning yeah. everything they're saying I'm taking with a grain of salt it's a script uh, yeah. you know, uh, they'll tell me anything today yeah. You know? yeah, they got their and they're not up. doing that on purpose they're not trying to deceive me they're not there's just what they've done with everybody their whole yeah, life it's just that training of not being able to dialogue honestly it's not okay you know we'll start breaking and you know that what it down is, Dan maybe you've had this experience but you'll be talking to your guys he's starting to loosen up and share things and he'll throw something out that even makes you go, damn! You even told me you told me that, yeah. <laughs> and that's when you know he's like so comfortable and trusting of you, and you realize how sacred that is that you don't want to do anything to fucking break that. It's like, oh my god, don't let it. me don't let me say something or do a false move that I'm going to ruin this. because yeah. now I he's fully in my camp. Yep, he's fully on board with what we're trying to do here. Yep, there's that. And you want to get that with a guy fist pump kind you of. You want to get that with a guy before god. the fist step. Yeah, oh yeah. You got to get that with a guy before his fist step. Yep. Yep, uh, I totally agree. I uh, those those fast track step working things. Uh, uh, I, I'm 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 totally you know, on board with the pace that we have because that relationship has to have time to develop so that that fifth step is solid enough, or else it's you just don't get the power out of it. And we just had a member join us from Seattle in our group on Thursday. And uh, after the meeting, I, I think I told you this. He sent me a text and says, "Well, I want to go through the steps." But, you know, um, I don't know, it seems like it takes too long or something. Didn't, uh, didn't Bill take Dr. Bob through the steps in two weeks? Two weeks. And I was sitting there going, okay, let me see if I can explain this to you. First of all, when Bill met Dr. Bob, there were no steps. All they had was some concepts that he had picked up from the Oxford group through, through Ebby. And secondly, he didn't write the book till a while into sobriety. So it took him a while to even get the steps. And uh, third... Um, We've learned a lot since then, and we've learned what, and that's the main thing I told her, is that if you do the steps short like that, you're going to get gypped. Yeah. And you know what she wrote me back? She wrote, thank you so much for not letting me get gypped. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Yeah. And I was cool. like, uh, just listen to your sponsor. She knows what she's doing. Go through the process. Go through the car wash, and you're going to come out right. liking what you get. Yep. When that pops up, you know, like, well. And I sent her to that chapter in the book on two of the employers. I swear to God, I don't even know why or how Bill got that in there. And it says that right clearly. And he says, for those of you who don't read the later chapters in the book, the guy says, you know, I was struggling. I went to AA. I liked it. But some of the things I didn't like, figured I could do it on my own. But, of course, I relapsed and then I lost my job. He said, but if I had just availed myself of the knowledge that these guys gave me and done what they asked me to do, I would have returned to work a well man at six months' time. Six months, right there on the paper in our so-called Bible, 
And these old timers are like, huh, what? I just do it in three weeks or I'm sorry. This guy here by Bill's hand says six months. Yeah. So it's funny that even back then, after being sober a while, they knew it was a process, not a quick. Now, I understand for Dr. Bob, they had to stop his drinking right away. So he went out that night and made amends as soon as he got back from his trip, getting drunk. And Bill's like, what'd you do? You went and made all your amends. I'm sure he was shocked. He was like, you weren't ready for that. Yeah. Uh, you didn't talk to me. You're supposed to keep your sponsor in the loop on amends. <laughs> you know, we haven't even talked about step nine. So there was no step nine, but... Yeah, I don't know, man. These myths start and they carry on weight and stuff. But, yeah, they uh, get kicked around on Facebook. It's a little bit entertaining. Sometimes I have to, oh, you know, I imagine. I definitely I'd have to stay put on my way. right pair of glasses in order to be able to read it. But some of it is fair. So, you know, it's again, it's you know, in there are, and you learn these dudes that actually are squared away, the same voices, you know, and you figure out who they are. <laughs> and, you know, and so you read, you know, give well, them, we have give that in town here. No, yeah, we, uh, we know what camp certain people come from. Yeah. Oh, you come from that sponsor's camp. So we know where your approach is yeah. going to be. You got the shit stirs, you know, the ones that are just launching uh, piles of garbage out there just to shit stir shit, you know. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Where's it say in the book that you need to do 90 and 90? it's true yeah yeah it is true but then I have a point for that I mean I love having a point for anything my guy wants to throw at me that I can pull something out of the book and you're like that too so I would throw out and say okay it doesn't say that but it says frequent contact with our newcomers and each other is the bright spot of our lives what does frequent contact mean does that mean once a day twice a day I don't know every other month says frequent let's yep. look it up in the dictionary and I'll take my guy in the dictionary frequent says a lot yeah. so okay well shit we need yeah. to be talking every hour on the <laughs> I don't know just screwing with him is that doctor however with darkness like I was talking about that just come because I didn't have like a childhood that would like really uh, darkness, I was not like taught darkness by my parents. My parents were happy people. I would have said that I had a happy childhood. If you would see pictures of me when I was that age, I was a happy kid. Uh, even like later on in life, uh, that would be one of the things my dad's friends and people would talk about, about how happy a baby hmm. you were. Yeah, I heard that and, a lot. You know, that, that, uh, but it, it like somehow or another what it is envelope me almost like a cloud almost like uh, what's a little guy on the peanuts thing with the cloud or dirt around him all the time uh, yeah I know who you're talking about pig pen pig pen that's correct and uh, but you don't really notice it it just seems like the normal everyday thing you know I mean it's just like you just kind of like wave it out of the way and don't look at it and, and try to uh, focus back on you know good stuff or whatever and pretend that's not there uh, when <coughs> I can tell you, you know, not there's no way in the world I could have voiced that to anybody. Mm-hmm. But what I needed to do was I need needed to say, "Hey, coach, uh, I'm having a lot of dark thoughts and feeling really, you know, depressed." Or to be able to actually do that, where somebody could actually offer you some help because yeah. they're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get help unless you know you're looking like you're okay. That's right. And it's it's like camouflage. The happiness is a camouflage for this underneath of there. And I'm sure as I'm sitting here that it, it's what ended up being a part of why when I took substances, the darkness evaporated. You know, I mm-hmm. went like bad magic. high, man. Like magic. Just like magic. 
there is no more. It never, you know, uh, even to the point of the simple little thing of like, I remember laying in bed and I had a lot of trouble sleeping when I was a kid. You know, yeah, getting to too. sleep. Yeah. And man, I could not get the dark thoughts. I remember thinking about death a lot. And I don't know if that's because, uh, you know, it's, it's trying to, it doesn't really matter. But I know that uh, uh, from the time I was a pretty young kid, my mom was keeping getting diagnosed with cancer of various mm -hmm. kinds. And, you know, uh, that's dark. 40 years ago, cancer was a lot scarier than it even is now. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily a death sentence now, and it maybe wasn't then, but that's what Dan heard when he heard mom had cancer. And I don't really know where, how, or why, but when I heard that, that meant you were done. And, uh, and it had me thinking about death a lot. So where I was going with that, it was, as, you know, it was uh, Ambien. Mm. You know, you drink, you go to sleep, man. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't lay there on the pillow thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it eventually enveloped it completely, you know. But it would still, you know, you'd have those moments of when that that when the morass of self pity got deep enough. And you, the cloud would be on you, and and really, the, my only my only defense mechanism was really just to fight through it, and that usually meant getting loaded again, so I can forget about whatever's going on right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I would make new darkness for myself by the behaviors that I would do while I was drinking, and then need to, you know, cover that up. Uh, you couldn't have told me that for nothing when I was a kid, though. Or and when I'm saying kid, when I was 35, mm -hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't have been able to tell me. That, uh, that that's what I was doing. But after doing this work and more so probably than after actually doing the work is more the, uh, the clinic that sponsoring other people is. And then, then I get to see it in you and I remember it in me and those behaviors and you know, I mean, that is, it's, it's another, phenomenal thing is when you start sponsoring people uh you know that you're helping me more and i'm helping you uh means a lot more than just you're just keeping me sober today because i'm working with you uh i get a lot of insight into myself when uh when i'm dealing with somebody else's darkness that's ultimately what this well when you're doing this stuff because that's what it is in the beginning right mm -hmm. there's nothing good going on in this dude's life or <laughs> hardly at all um that guy's on the phone on the way here, you know, and a guy got a medic, got called in for a emergency CT scan. And when they said they wanted to schedule it, he was like, okay, well, let's get scheduled. And they said, uh, no, Mr. So-and-so, you need to come in now. Oh, wow. And he dropped what he was doing and went in. Uh, and I look at that, too, as those signs you know that's the universe telling you so you're not going in the right direction mm -hmm. you know that's trying to tap you out in the direction of out of the darkness these health scares and other what i used to think was bad luck alcoholics have a lot of bad luck you know <laughs> <laughs> self-generated yeah <laughs> um i think the most important message for the listeners that you were alluding to is when you want to talk to your coach or talk to somebody about it uh, one of the most powerful elixirs I know of is to know you're not alone. Because uh, the last thing you want is to open up to somebody with your stuff. Like we've been sharing some heavy shit here. 
and then have people judge you or have people say, oh, I, I take issue with what you said. So, well, fuck you, dude. I'm letting my walls down, and I'm finally working hard to do that. Why don't you let your walls down and yeah. reveal yourself? You know, and we go on these retreats, and we challenge each other to do that. Yeah. You know, to let it, let it out. You know, stop hiding behind your judgment and condescension. Um, but that's so vital because I work with a population, obviously, some of the highest suicide rates there are. And when we're talking about the holidays, everybody throws, they, we all know the statistics, more suicides than any other time of the year, more family, domestic issues, cop calls, shit like that. Yep. Now this is the holidays, this is the holly jolly time of year. Everybody look at the beautiful Christmas on TV. <laughs> but that's not true in all of our families. And that's what some, to some extent looks like a charade to me today. Yeah, it is, it's a little bit of an acting role. And I was gonna say, that's how I learned to cope with my darkness. Because obviously I'm very clear on my progression was, you know, in my family I loved Christmas and Christmas was a big deal. As soon as the Thanksgiving was over, the, the, the decorations are coming out and we would fight as kids as to who got to set up the nativity scene or, or put certain ornaments on the tree or whatever. Yep. And we all had our little assigned ornaments too with our names on them and things yep. like that. Made just for us. And, uh, and I loved it. I loved every aspect of it. And then my father became an alcoholic and started to get worse. And every year was this steady chipping away of, okay, so what are we going to lose this year? Yeah. Is this the year he's going to lose another job? Is this the year we're going to move to someplace cheaper because we can't afford this house no more? Uh, oh, this is the year we're moving back to my mom's hometown. We're not going to be in Chicago. We're going back to Louisville because uh, that's the next progression. And... Uh, so we went from this, and I always say that, you know, it's a weird dynamic, so bear with me, people. But I always feel in my heart, from my, for listening to other people and from my own experience, to have and to have lost it is worse than never having it at all. Because if you never have it at all, you don't really know what you're missing. And I'm not trying to belittle somebody who had terrible, uh, poor upbringings and all that. But to have this perfect Christmas family yeah. and have it destroyed before your eyes, it's piece by piece. Yeah, and so... Um, we went from being at home and together and Christmas and wonderful to now we are going to four different places for Christmas. Now to a child or to some people, they say, oh, that's great. You get presents More four presents. times. And, yeah, exactly. Not exactly. Because, you know, we start out in the morning with our Christmas at home with Santa. You know, what did Santa bring? Then we go to my grandmother's house, which is my mom's mom. We have Christmas over there and dinner. And then we go to my dad's mom's. So we go to that grandpa's house for their dinner. And then we go to the stepfather's mother's house at night for their dinner. And by the end of the night, man, there was pictures of us. We look like sated pumpkins, blown up, sitting on the couch, depressed, tired, exhausted, and worn out. And the last thing you'd think about on a kid's face at Christmas time, there's just this dark cloud over yeah. us, like, I'm just worn out. Please yeah. let this be over. Right. Please let this be over. Yeah. So it went from one of these things these, like I couldn't wait have for some Christmas. New stuff around too, but to you're get just here, out of gas to even care. Yeah, yeah. To just let it be over. Um, and I think with our population, I think we're carrying a lot of those demons into our adulthood. You know, whenever I hear, uh, and there's a lot of people in our program who say this, I hate Christmas or I'm not big on the holidays. I'm not big on the holidays. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. But I think it's hangover shit. I think it's hangover shit for what happened in our childhood. Yeah. Just like most things that people deal with in therapy. Yeah. You know, that uh, 
school you ran into recently that that woman's rubbing for those children is open learning environment and you know her little quote on her webpage the first seven years of life are so vital to a child's development I really believe that with all my heart from all the research I've read and all the child development stuff I've been taught that the impressions that are made on a child's mind are so impactful <laughs> like you know you can grow up and rationalize and say don't think that way it's goofy it's not real but that child believes it with all its heart and soul, whatever it feels and experiences. Right. And so, like I say, when I hear somebody saying they don't like Christmas, it's usually, okay, so who burned it for you? Who yeah. fucked it up for yeah. you? Who was the bad and, Santa uh, in your life? So what's your story on it? It's like that, uh, that stuff leaves that big stomp, that footprint on your spirit, that stepping on a young child's spirit. And this stuff, that imprint doesn't come out. I don't know that it ever comes out. You heal it. But, you know, it's like we're saying on the hard drive thing, you know, it's, it's always there, you know, you, no matter what's on your computer, you can do all the deleting everything you want to, but them FBI experts will find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, mine's recent, you know, mine come about with my crash and burn and my divorce and all that, you know, mm. when, when Christmas went from, and, you know, we tried to make the best of it, and we had a good Christmas, so I certainly don't want to, you know, when I was a kid, the expectation was the thing, and it brought me, you know, we talk about setting our expectations now and being careful about expectations. Uh, and even though I had some pretty daggone good Christmases, no real reason to, nothing to complain about. There seemed to always still be a letdown. You know, there was a, oh, is that all? Mm, you know, kind is of that all? That's the alcoholic yeah. anthem. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I wouldn't voice that, and I knew, I can remember knowing that that ain't cool. Yeah. You know, that's not be grateful for what you got. Be grateful for what I was just thinking that exact same thought in my yeah. head. That's how programmed that is. Like, how dare you? Yeah. Be grateful for what yeah. you got. And you know, and it would hurt my mom and dad's feelings had I said something else. And I do remember my kids one time, just as kids, with no harm in their hearts at all, uh, said, Is that all? And that's really what they were saying. But you know, my alcoholic ass heard what I got's not enough. Yeah. You know, and I really don't, I think back to that, and it's another one of those outbreaks, those those, those short wicks that we have uh, where I, I acted, you know, I, I got shitty. I was, should be grateful for, you know, and. Uh, Scroogey. You got yeah, to be a little Scroogey about yeah. it. Yeah, well, you know, you, and you do. You know, the other thing is, is you take it on personally, you know, that you're not, I'm not a good enough dad because the kids didn't get enough for Christmas and. Uh, that's one of the other big wake-up calls is that I used to always think that my kids needed to behave in the grocery store. And I used to thought that was for them, but I did I come to that realization that the reason they need to behave is so that I look good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and have anything to do with them, man. I needed to look good while I'm in Whoa, So much of Christmas in our country is built on that, you yeah. know, getting the tree in the window so that the neighbors can see everything looks perfect over there, you know get the decorations up and all that. Yeah, know. and there's all the one-upmanship that comes with Christmas and, you know, you're Big going time. to your friends and he's got, you know, whatever he got. You know, I remember one year I got a brand new computer before there was ever computers. Right. And it was the coolest thing in the world, man. Uh, and, you know, like you look at your stuff and you're like, <laughs> dang, I wish I'd have got a computer. Mm -hmm. You know, right off, you're, you know, not wishing, for, it's never enough. Uh, but when we did have good Christmases growing up, you know, with my ch children were little, that is fun. 
Uh, we had the means to have good Christmases. My, we had gifts, and you'd stay up not late the night, before, you know, Christmas Eve, and wrap presents and set the living room all nice and everything. And then when we separated, that, like, I guess I, that was soul crushing to not, because I was devastated on or on at, in the divorce. And I also uh, played the victim, like it was, you know, like it wasn't me. Mm -hmm. You know, this work and lets me know the truth of that today, but at the time, and uh, so throw that, take away my, you know, my family Christmas, my thing, and that was my mom and dad were married their entire, you know, up to mom's passing. Uh, that was a, for me, a lifelong tradition. And boom, it got cut off. Mm. And I also know that at the same time, this couple of those big footprints that I'm talking about on the spirit, a couple of those big footprints got stomped into my children at that point in time too. And, uh, you know, sort of resurrected it the best we could for a couple of years. And I did go, I would get up early in the morning on Christmas and go to Angie's house. They generally would stay at her house Christmas Eve. And so that when they woke up, I was there. And we did a little play like it was still the same way. Uh, and that was nice. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all because it wasn't a total charade. It wasn't that. We were doing, as far as I'm concerned today, we were doing the exact right thing. You know, but it was a little bit of pretending like all is still well mm -hmm. when it really wasn't. Well, if you think about it. When we're talking about that one side of Christmas with the materialism and the gifts and all the frou-frou outside stuff. But ultimately, it's supposed to be a holiday of renewal and uh, hope and yeah. and uh, the goodness in man, right? And uh, it's, it's crazy. You know, we, we have this one day out of the year, right, where we're going to love our brother. And the rest of the year, it's like, fuck you. I got the better deal on you. Screw you. It's just business. Sorry, buddy. What's the other side of that? Something, <laughs> something other and goodwill towards men. There's peace a, on earth. Peace on earth and yeah. goodwill towards man. Yeah. So that's the ideal. Right. And yet it's so fleeting in all aspects, just like we're talking about whether it's the fleeting aspects that you've opened the gifts and now there's just trash on the floor. Uh, or it's, was that all? Or whether it's, you know, well, fuck, now we're going to go back to fucking being in each other's throat tomorrow. Yeah. Whether it's red and blue states or whether it's other countries, right? Yeah. So I think there's a deep cynicism in addicts and alcoholics and I think it's not only part of our genetics having this disease because we're dark people and I was talking about this in group today we we know darkness like few people do mm -hmm. I know Bill in the big book says he shall know loneliness as few people do but I think we know that dark he's talking about sordid places and all that shit man we've been to places people don't even know we'd be terrified to go to and yet when we use, we hit that magic, and it works so well. And I've got the Christmas spirit, and I can see red, white. I can see uh, green and red everywhere I go, and tinkly stars, and it's beautiful. And then we fucking crash. We have to get sober the next day. We're hungover, and reality crashes in. And so this fleeting, why can't this be all the time? Same thing with Christmas. Christmas is supposed to be this goodwill on earth, peace towards all men. Why the fuck can't that be all the time? Why is it going to be one day of the year that we're going to love our brother? And so it's that, it's, it's that expected crash is what I'm saying. That expected crash. The other shoe's going to drop eventually. No matter what the best drug you're going to give me, and no matter how much you give me, 
my alcoholic mind's already gone, well, I know it's going to run out soon or eventually because it can't last forever. Nothing, nothing lasts forever. And we used to have these fantasies, you know, I'm sure you had them too, about, well, one day when I'm a millionaire, yeah. I'd buy all the good drugs in the world and go to my private island. Still wouldn't be enough. Yeah. Not in our minds. Yeah. We'd still be thinking towards that end point, like, yeah, but it's going to, it's not, it's not going to, yeah, even if right. I have it, it's not going to stop, it's going to stop working. You know? Yep. What's well, uh, I heard a guy say it before, and it's a line that I really liked, and it left me for a while. And then a guy said it the other day. He said, "You can never get enough of something that almost works." Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Uh, like, and he was talking. That's about interesting, actually, because there's a lot of science behind that now in terms of uh, the cell phones and the video games, and how you know they've proven that these loot boxes that you get, which have good gear in them. If they give you a good loot box every time, your brain gets used to that dopamine hit and it doesn't pay off. But if you get a loot box every 13th box, you'll keep playing and you'll keep paying more till you can get that loot box. And so, yeah, you're right. If it's spaced out and it's, it's almost like good lottery. enough, if it's almost good enough, then I'll still keep chasing it. Yep. But if I get that good enough nirvana, oh, well, what else is there, right? right yep. And it was used in addict form, you know, of the pills and the dope and drinking and stuff that, you know, that stuff almost works. Right. And you can never get enough until it. it stops working. Yeah, until it stops, that's un insane when that happens. Yeah, yeah. I've been. I listen for whatever reason. This deer season, I've listened. I decided I was going to listen to some highfalutin audio books, and I can. I still struggle with the guy's name every single time. But Dostoevsky, 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 and to listen. To you their, read my book, and you know all about that, huh? You read my book, and you know that's his favorite author. That's his favorite author. Oh yeah, Sunday's oh, yeah, favorite yeah, yeah, author yeah, in my yeah, book. Yeah. So you I know. wonder if that in. I wonder if that subconsciously yeah. got in there, yeah. and what made me. I didn't even I put. Gotcha. I didn't. Because uh, when so, you told me you were reading that, I'm like, oh, good, because I thought you were inspired by what you read in my book. I, <laughs> I think it was. Uh, I don't know what did it. It's one of them programming. Damn book pro. Your damn book programming. I think he's the king. Of well expressed darkness, man. I, I and you know, and I talked a lot about it, and I understand you have to be. It is not for everybody. I think it is, but you have to be open to uh, it. Yeah, well, that's what you know. I know a lot of people that it's don't also want exhausting, to, man. It's a lot. There's man. a lot of people that don't want to hear this podcast. Or a lot of people don't want to face any of that shit. Right? Yeah. You know, you get dark, and they're like, "I'm out." Yep. I'm going to go to the store and buy something. Yep. <laughs> Let me get my credit card. I'll see you later. <laughs> so now I'm three deep. The Brothers Kazmarov, uh, Crime and Punishment. you got to read Notes from the Underground. And Notes from the Underground. Yep. And I've read all three of those now. What do you and, think about uh, Notes? Uh, they, his writing blows me away to the point that I'm not sure that I could put into words what. I picked these little pieces out of it that hit me. You know, one thing that's kind of silly that hit me is that, you know, these books were written in the 1860s, mm -hmm. 1870. Mm -hmm. uh, in that book, he talks about a dude who's making a mountain out of a molehill. He's got resentment, like nobody's yeah. got but resentment. But we say that we, Capital kick, R resentment. we kick that around today, you know, and it, and it was in that oh, book. Oh, and it was in that, that book. That long phrase. ago, oh, wow. you know. That's cool. Uh, Everything uh, has an origin. In twice two is four. Hmm. And he's talking about the programming we get. Twice two is four. Twice two is four. Twice two is four. And he says it over and over, and he's talking about it, and he's and he's going around in the circle about how we. That's a you know he's using it as a metaphor to our programming, and when twice two hits five, it wrecks us. <laughs> yeah, you know because it, it was yeah <laughs> we can't stand that. Yeah, we cannot stand it. No, 
you know, the character study kind of thing in them too, you know, in that crime and punishment, that dude, that's the guy who killed the, the old ladies and he's living with it. And he, you know, he immediately, the, the, in my mind, listening to it, I'm doing an audio book. I am seeing it in my mind like a movie. I mean, and that's pretty much the way anytime I'm reading a book or doing that, I see that. It's like there's a movie, uh, Don Major talks about a movie screen in the back of your head. Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to see that and to watch it, the, the detail of him murdering those old women and then also the emotion that he's feeling while he's doing it. Mm -hmm. And your heart's, you know, your heart's racing and stuff, mm -hmm. reading it. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, it really, really, really got me. Um, I went through notes from the underground too quick, though. Mm -hmm. I got, uh, sometimes it's I know pretty when, dense. I'm just, when I'm just... It's um, got a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. Um, so what we're referring to, guys, is uh, um, this novel I'm finishing right now. I'm in the final stages very, of... Of editing, I'm and, sitting here thinking, "Wow, man, how <laughs> parallel the 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 voice, the, the tone, voice is. the tone, yes, the voice." Yeah. I'm trying to really emulate that in the book because obviously that's his favorite author is Dostoevsky, and that's his favorite work, Notes from Underground. Um, I don't know what kind of audience it's going to have, but the purpose of this book, right? I just got done writing the TSSR book, which is, of course, was all positive and hopeful. And <laughs> let's save humanity. And now I felt like I needed to get this dark side out. And I had written this book a long time ago um, when I was stuck in corporate land and I had no other means of expression. And uh, I'd been sitting in the drawer and I was like, I gotta do this justice. He, is the, Sonny's story has to be told. And uh, I feel that there's an underserved population out there that is hungry for somebody to resonate with the darkness that's going on in our, in our, in our world. Look, I mean, we have darkness all around us. We have climate change. We have a unfair economies. We have racial injustice. We have, you know, fucking people. These we have insanity that people are allowing politics to come before their own families. They're putting someone else's opinion who they've never met. I don't know this guy on a first name basis. <laughs> never talked to him. And I'm going to go with what he says versus my own fucking family, blood, trust, and it's insane. And so this we are all aware of this. And yet it's like, well, you know, just trusting God, it'll be okay. Yes. And it's not going to be okay. And there's a lot of people suffering out there. They're like, they just want to scream out. Like, you know, what the fuck is going on? And so this book, again, with that exorcising idea, my hope is that it will create a uh, cathartic uh, experience. It's not just to down people or get them depressed or something, but to come out feeling that they've been able to get some of that out release some of that darkness so you're not carrying it all by yourself and so for those of you that don't know the general plot is this is a very successful author that's built his career on seeking truth and the way he seeks truth is to do experiments he does them on himself to expand and see how far the limitations are over the human body the mind things like that and then he documents all that stuff and his books are very popular but he's got to the point where he's examined basically every other truth about life that's out there except the final truth death what happens to us and so the book opens up on his last day that he's documenting his own suicide and uh and what happens to him from there? You'll have to read yeah. it to find you out. You have to read you know, the book. it. Does he I'm excited about reading it again after. Uh, You'll like the re edit. I've taken a lot of it. When it gets to it its it uh, final 
version. Uh, I am excited about it. And I had not even put that together. Kind of that's kind of gets that. I'm you know, more and more touched about this, like subliminal programming. This 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 things where time and time again, I feel like I'm on some kind of autopilot, and some things get in me that I didn't intend to. Mm -hmm. You know, and not you know, not, it's not like this is a bad thing. I'm not saying it's even necessarily negative, but the way that we absorb, I guess, in that using that computer thing, these pieces of data land on my hard drive that I'm almost not aware of. Most of that it you're not that ends up creating some circumstance. I mean, if the scientists are going to tell us that 90 percent to 95 percent of what we do every day is done on an unconscious level. Think about that, guys. Yeah. Unconscious. Yeah. You're brushing your teeth, you're driving your car, you're going through the motions. You're not even aware. You're on automatic pilot. And as I go through the day, I, it's fun to watch yourself because I've become so aware of this programming to see how I'm still, to this day, even being awakened, completely susceptible. So, like, I'll be at work and I'm walking past the, the snack machines and I'm like, oh, look at that fucking garbage in there, man. I don't need that shit. And then one bag will catch my eye that I'm not even aware of. It could be the Cheetos. It could be about the Lay's potato chips. And later that day, I'm in the grocery store. I get to the checkout line. What's in my fucking cart? A bottle of Lay's. A, a bottle. A bag of Lay's. <laughs> a, ba a bottle. Yeah. A bag of Lay's. A bag of fucking Cheetos. And you're like, oh, motherfuckers. How did they fucking get me? And I know how they got me. It's advertising. It's fucking bright packaging. If you will notice one thing about all the snack foods and the, oh, yeah. and the pal, they're pal, yeah, they're pal, big pal. Like you know, you look at vegetables and they're kind of pal, but <laughs> the colors they use on that shiny packaging, oh, man, yeah. and the idea of yeah. opening it up and getting that fresh bite, you know, the hell, right now I can make your mouth water if I describe that first Cheeto to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. we know that first Cheeto. We have that imprinted on our brain with that yeah. extra fault, extra salt, extra fat, extra sugar, yeah. dopamine payoff. And they've definitely balanced that stuff out to. It is good yeah and uh, and happy it's associated with happy times it's associated with celebration and and enjoying yourself and you deserve it and all yeah. that crap um, but the programming of our diet of our of our palate I mean you know, how many people how many times we heard people from France and other countries come here and go holy fuck your food is way too salty and way too sugary and what because their palate is so well defined on real food and real gourmet food yeah um, but we've been trained on this and nobody addresses this on I watch all these shows on the latest diet or why is America obese or why are all the people that are dying from COVID obese which is just now coming out I've been listening to Bill Maher on Politically Incorrect say this for since the beginning of the pandemic yeah I've heard a couple of there's a strong association that if you are morbidly obese especially but obese you will die yeah. if you get COVID but nobody's saying it because they're afraid to touch that with the political correctness. We don't want to body shame right. anybody. Yeah. But that's truth. Wouldn't those people yeah. need to know that yeah. they're going to be more likely to that's die? In the, that's in the neighborhood of saying the N-word. Yes. <laughs> Close. And again, though, we're not discussing what's causing it. We're blaming them or we're blaming their you're weak or you need to go to the gym or yeah. you just don't work out. So the fact of the matter is we've been hooked. We've been addicted to this payoff with these high foods, these high concentrated foods, that you can try it. Yeah. Go home tonight and try it, guys. Eat some plain broccoli and then sit down for 20 minutes and see how you feel. And then go get yourself some McDonald's or an ice cream and then sit there and see how you feel. Yeah. And you will see that payoff in your brain going, oh, wow, 
there's the rush. Yep. That's what I was looking for. Yep. And, and especially you know, at the end of it when you start getting sleepy and you're like, uh yep. and, you know, our good friend Darren is uh, in a facility because of his diabetes over I, I pretty much told him the other day on the phone, man, I said, don't beat yourself up because we all struggle with this in our culture. Our food is corrupted. And he knew it. He knew it as he was eating it, that he was going to end up in a bad way with his diabetes. And uh, he hasn't walked for a year and a half, guys, two years now. Mm. It's crazy. And talk about consequences. Yeah. And the last thing I want to do is see him beat himself up for that because, right. yeah. you know. It's kind of like beating somebody up for being an alcoholic. Or I being mean, a smoker. Kind of stuff, or a smoker, smoker. Or any other kind of Freaking addicted. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the amount of uh, money that is spent to make that Cheeto taste the way it was. You know, oh, my Cheetos, God. You know how many and Cheetos want the right one? For the damn um, advertising. And then advertise on top of that. So, so like, you know, going. just to get you to try it because, you know, some of these foods, if you didn't have the palate for it, just like the French people, you taste them, you're like, ugh. Yeah, you really like Coca Cola like does cheetah. not taste good. Yeah, Coca-Cola. it doesn't. You have to get used to that taste. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's almost like pouring salt right in your mouth and some of that stuff. <laughs> it's just like taking the salt. Shake and you know, and what's interesting is I've had to go on that salt restricted diet for a while because uh, of some health issues, guys. And uh, when you actually get something that's one of those pals, it's remarkable what you got used to. Yeah. It's just normal dietary every day. Um, I watch what people are eating at lunch, and I, I don't take inventory, so don't misunderstand me. But because I'm conscious on all these things, I'm watching their food choices. And I'm like, day after day, dude, you're going to the subway shop. Day after day, you're eating that nitrates fucking uh, deli food, which they say is a number one cancer causer. It's under, right now, they've identified that's what the number one cause is bacon and nitrates and cold cuts and all that shit. Uh, even more so than red meat, especially if red meat is organic. with grass-fed it's actually good for you yeah but uh yeah it's not really the lunch meat that's that bad for you it's all the preservatives it's the processing they put in the, it. the salt and the processing for preservatives and most of the salt in our diet uh food supply is for preservatives yeah. sake. bread oh my god i mean when you start looking at labels like i had to it was astonishing to see what how could a fucking uh muffin have 40 percent of your show your salt for the day salt Salt. This and is it's a, a sweet fucking, thing. Exactly. <laughs> but it's preservative. They need to keep it on the shelf so they don't have to throw it away. So consciousness, guys, that's what we're talking about out there. Um, I did want to address as part of the Christmas theme, dark stuff. Yep. So, you know, without darkness, we wouldn't have literature. You know, we're talking about Dostoevsky, and he specializes in the dark. But um, every single play, uh, movie, book, Ever since the time of the Greek tragedies, very beginning of time, there was always a twist in the plot where a problem shows up. Because it's not an interesting story if everything's just happy and happy land. So even in children's shows, little Daniel the tiger is having a good day until Daniel the tiger stubs his toe on some problem and he's got to solve it by the end of the episode, right? So I was thinking about our uh, Christmas specials that I was weaned on as a kid, and I loved them all, man. I mean, and I got to tell the guys nowadays, streaming, fuck streaming. There is nothing more exciting than knowing that you could only see Rudolph the Reindeer, Reindeer Guarantee it. once a year, and it was a big event, and you get your popcorn, you get sell, you were talking about at school that day, everybody was all excited, knowing that it was the only time you were going to see it that year, yeah. right? There's no reruns, no fucking on-demand shit. Yeah. My, my mind has me laying on my belly. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> totally, the on the floor. Yeah, yeah, just thrilled. And the, usually, like, those small screens, especially, yeah, oh, compared yeah, to what yeah, we had oh, today. Yeah. yeah. 
But every single one of the top ones, okay, so first of all, we have Charlie Brown Christmas. Charlie Brown's suffering from depression. <laughs> He's not feeling it. He's like, fuck Christmas. I didn't even get a Christmas card, and nobody fucking understands me. Why am I so depressed? And then Linus comes out with the Jesus story, and everything's all fine. <laughs> then we have the Grinch story. The Grinch is an asshole, and he's going to steal Christmas. He doesn't want anybody to be fucking happy. And that's a children's show. <laughs> yeah. And then, but by the end of it, his heart grows two times larger, and he's able to save Christmas. And then we have uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger. Rudolph is a misfit. Yeah. Rudolph is shamed bullied. by his bull, bullied, abused by his peers. And you know what they do to him? They exile him. Motherfucker has to leave his family and everything because you're so genetically deformed, yeah. not by his own fault, his own fucking shiny nose. Yeah. And then he comes back and saves the day, of course, because it has to end happy. And then finally, we have Frosty the Snowman. Frosty the Snowman is on a mission to get home because if he doesn't, he's going to die. And I'm like, nothing says Christmas like certain annihilation. (laughs) If that motherfucker doesn't get home because of climate change, he's going to end up in a puddle of water with two little coals sitting on the ground. Now, what happened to Frosty? So if you think about it, and I related to all those. Those are my favorites. I I especially like Charlie Brown. I don't know why that was my favorite. But um, they were showing the sides of Christmas that maybe aren't so jolly. And those are iconic shows that we all grew up watching. Yet it's not okay to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful life. That's a very dark movie in its own way. Yeah. Guys, think about suicide on Christmas, Christmas Eve. Um, so, yes, folks, it's okay not to be holly jolly the whole time. And speaking of which, when we're, let me just get this in here while I'm thinking about it. Um, right now, as we speak, we are experiencing a mid 60s to almost 70 degree day. And I'm driving to work today trying to listen to fucking Christmas music. And I'm going, it doesn't feel like Christmas. Uh-uh. Not when I can wear shorts. And I'm telling you straight up right now, and if some people from work are listening to this, get prepared. But if I hear one more motherfucker say, isn't it a great day? Isn't it just wonderful? Doesn't it just feel wonderful outside? And I get it, but I can't help it. And in the back of my mind, my alcoholic mind's going, yeah, isn't it great the world is fucking burning? That it's fucking summer and Christmas. That's a good thing. And we live in a part of a country where we want seasons. That's why I live here. Okay, if you don't want seasons, I respect that. Move to fucking Florida. Move to fucking Arizona. You can have summer all day long. You can have 115 degree summer if you want, okay? But I want a season that feels like Christmas. Because I lived in L.A. for a couple of years when I was chasing that movie thing. And believe me, having seen palm trees made up of Christmas lights ain't the same. It just ain't the same. Yeah. So... It's really hard to reconcile that, that as these people are celebrating what's causing our world to warm, global warming, and yet you want to say, but isn't this a bad thing? Just because it makes you feel good today. Yes, made it a beautiful day today. Maybe it's not a good thing. I, I, and even the weather people. And you know how many times in our fucking city the weather people will say, well, I'm sorry, it's going to be 40 degrees tomorrow, but it is December. And then the little, they cut to the, the anchor people and they're like, eh, poop on you. What the fuck? Can't you get better weather for the weekend? I'm like, go live somewhere else. It's supposed to be in the 40s yeah. this time of year here. So um, how do you reconcile it's that darkness that you got everybody walking around a daydream going, isn't it great? Doesn't it feel wonderful? I'm like, okay, so I don't have to wear my coat and that's not a bad thing for me. That's cool, I guess. But at the same time, it's not cool for all of us as a species. Yep. Yeah. Not cool at all. It's a little funny going. Uh, my deer hunting. Yeah. On it's inter- ruining on, your deer hunting rhythms. Line. 
you know, people are talking to you. It's like, you don't even need cold weather gear anymore here. You used to have to make sure that when it got to be this time of year, you had some major league clothing. Uh, hell, it's only going to be cool in the morning for about an hour, and that's not very often. We haven't had a cold day, I don't think, this year. I mean, not, not like real cold. stay cold. No, no, we not haven't. Like not stay under, cold. Not under it might freezing. got colder in the morning for yeah. a day break. Hour or two. But uh, we, haven't, we haven't had a cold day. It's very unusual. And it's happening a lot faster than everybody's expecting. I saw an article the other day that there's this huge ice sheath in Antarctica that's sort of been a linchpin that they've always said if that one goes, it's going to be automatically a couple of feet rising of the ocean and, and accelerate things dramatically. And they're finding out there's a lot of warm water under it that's wearing it away, and they're expecting it to go pretty soon here, mm. a couple of years maybe, whatever. But much sooner than they ever thought. Huh? You know, out west is dealing with droughts like crazy. Mm, you know, wildfires. No, no water and no, you know, what they, not too long ago they had a dam, that dam broke. Mm, I don't I even watch, I, you know, and you know me, I don't even watch that much news. Most mm. of mine comes from uh, Facebook hunting and woodworking forums. Mm. But uh, some dam broke the other day and dumped out like all the water out of this lake that, that you know, they save water. That's how they keep water, right? It's like they're, water supply man that's that dam is not just that it is a place where they can gather up a whole bunch of water so the community can and it i don't know how many gallons of water there were people there that were pulling fish out of the water they were on the beach dying mm. i can't remember where it was it's like uh hmm. in wyoming or montana or something like that hmm. uh I, I can't remember but I know that's go along with it, you know, and it does, it's, it's a funny thing because you'll hear the arguments being made like about, you know, everybody can argue anything today, right? And that's another one of this darkness attitude things. This is, it just seems that there is no truth. Yeah. And it seems <laughs> it's whatever version of truth you ascribe to or put out there. Yeah. And, uh, and people will really cling to what they think they know about something, you know, to the point that, like you said, people, relationships crumble because of two people that don't know believe they know and they get to hating each other so bad because they won't the other person won't agree with them it's like we're almost like we're it's a little bit like we're hungry for that darkness of that conflict mm. in many you know, ways we are you know it's been proven we've been able to channel it into into sports you know in our country especially mm. sports is our exercise to exercise our primal natures so that i can hate you i can hate the other side i can scream and yell and bleed bloodthirsty kill them kill them right and at the end of the day it's just a game right um but it's a very much a need for us as we are living animals and we do have a violent side we do have a darker side that has to hunt and has to kill and has to do what we have to do to survive and no matter how pure you want to be in this earth you're going to be dirty in some like way the war you know? kind of effect you can drive an electric car and still electric cars pollute because yeah. it costs it makes pollution it makes it a lot to make electricity too it's not free so that's why football is a analogy to war yeah absolutely absolutely so we get to go play and in war. fact i'll have patients who will talk about losing that like they used to be very involved to the point where they went to college or they were looking at maybe a professional career and then something happened with an injury or something mm -hmm. they got put on pain pills and um but they lost that passion and they had no other outlet to direct those um aggressions whereas there it was actually celebrated like yeah yeah get out there and get that guy yeah yeah yep. wreck him <laughs> wreck that guy you know yeah well the dope took away my basketball career and uh 
you know, who's to say if I'd have one or not, but it totally deflated my motivation to do any. It, it definitely was one of those uh, life-changing moments that took me off in another direction because I didn't have this thing to focus on anymore. Mm-hmm. And hell, well, we'll go this way then. Mm-hmm. But it's also been proven that human animals, that if they've left to their own devices and there's nothing going on, they will create a problem. Right. Because we need to have something we're working on. We ha- need to have some issue that we can focus on. Yeah. We'll right. find issues even when there's not issues. Anybody that's watched a damn show like Real Wives of Atlanta or something where they have all the money in the world and they have everything they need, they'll fucking create drama yeah, just well, because they're bored. Yeah, yeah. There's one of those writers <laughs> from back in the 1800s that said something of that nature too. I can't remember. Give, let them have everything they can eat and all the sex they want. And uh, they'll still uh, screw it up. Mm. they'll still find something to fight about which the two things I take from that one is astonishing we've lasted this long mm-hmm. <laughs> but also wondering if we can last forever yeah. I mean I mean, right now they're talking about Putin building up his forces on the border of Ukraine and whether or not he's yeah. going to invade and I think he is I mean he's the motherfucker's done it before and he don't give a shit <laughs> and uh, he thinks that's annexed territory that you can take back and in many ways you can't argue with him because you know I heard somebody say a joke the other day like well we do have this state called New Mexico <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> meaning yep. that we took it from them a lot of what I've been reading a lot of I've have digested a bunch of books lately and some of that some of it's been the Greek stuff and the seat like the Caesars and the emperors mm-hmm. back then and how all that you know that whole end of the world was basically just uh, almost like barbarians fighting for territory you know just always constant constant the and, ottoman know, empire and talking and about that. like you know having a hundred thousand men lined up on opposing ridge lines with hand-to-hand battle stuff yeah, you can know? you imagine and uh and going into war like that and then the fact that the true fact of that we he's talking about the sports you know sports then was you know like the gladiator movie kind of stuff that really did happen they mm-hmm. put people out there and chariot races and which weren't racist uh and and the kind of way we behaved you know and certainly we have evolved uh a bunch but there's still that is still we're still doing it just in a different fashion mm-hmm. you know we've always got some kind of conflict since i've Whoa. been alive we've had some kind of military conflict going right. on someplace right and you know they'll say today a lot of our violence is done on paper and pen because it's contracts, it's corporate takeovers. It's, yeah, you know, right. oh, yeah. it's called a yeah. hostile takeover, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's that monopoly game winning, like, yeah, yeah fuck y'all, we're gonna lay you off, sorry. Right. We just took over your corporation, we're gonna sell all the assets. Um, I did wanna say on the climate change though, you know, these bigger issues, the darkness is, what do I do about it? This is so overwhelming, I mean, what the fuck can I do? That's what I feel you like. Know? Everybody feels like that. I think everybody's stuck in this malaise we're looking for a leader or just somebody to say, this is something we can do. Let's all get on the same page and we can all pull together and we can make a difference. And it can be little stuff, right? If I Because obviously if everybody's doing little something, it's a big something. A whole bunch of little things add up to a big thing. Oh, totally. And that's our program, really. We try to tell people progress, not perfection, because you will look back one day and say, look how far I've come yeah. from just these little inches I made. Um, and so... Unfortunately, in this country, especially with politics, it's such a cult of personality that's caught up in what's in it for me. And how can I get more uh, listeners, followers, tweeters, all that other stuff, uh, that they don't care. There's no principles behind it. We really have a lack of leadership in our world nowadays. Yeah. 
and our leaders have turned into occupations and careers rather than yes serving, those are our heroes rather than a servant yeah. of what it was built to be was it was a servant position where you came in and you ultimately were be, were actually sacrificing in order to play your part to you know be the president of your condominium association you know mm -hmm. come in here okay i'll do my deal be the treasurer at the aa meeting you know uh, but it's a career now and a job thing where it's money, 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 and who, you know all that by them hostile takeovers and who can who can pad whose pocket, uh, and it's completely the the servant thing has completely gone away, and we are at such uh, opposition to one another that like you say we do need a leader, we need a leader, but problem is. 50% of them aren't going to like whoever it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't have prejudice uh, already. There was a point. I, and I may be wrong, uh, but I believe there was a point in our history where we actually did like uh, like our leader. I don't know that it's happened since I've been born, <laughs> but I have to think that at some point, you know, I mean, okay, let's go all the way back. Well, George Washington. People liked George Washington, oh, yeah. most everybody that was here was on his side. Right. You know? but even and in your dad's time, which isn't that far back, even if you disagree with a person's positions or, or policies, there was a respect. Mm -hmm. There was respect that, well, we're all going to rally around because this is our one president and this is our one country. So we're ultimately all countrymen that have to support the democratic process. But nowadays, people are willing to completely unwind and sacrifice that just so I can get one up on you. So ultimately, what we're talking about is this disease of self-centeredness. Mm -hmm. Our country is dying from selfishness and self-centeredness. Yeah, right. And the problem with that is, is that the human race is interconnected. Every single part of us is reliant on each other. Like when I get up in the morning and I hit that hot water in my fucking shower, I'm hoping <laughs> that that motherfucker showed up at his work to make sure my hot water was going to come out there and that the plumber who put it in put it in a good job that it's going to actually work. Yeah. And the guy and, that made the faucet is... Yep. And, you know, and the world's so... Down. You're not even thinking about those guys when you take a shower, right? Yeah. I do. <laughs> I actually give gratitude for that. I'm like, oh, my God, I feel so good this way. Thank you so much. Because those are the things we're taught in sobriety to be grateful for, these things that you overlook because we're always looking for that next thing. That's what our culture does. It says, right. oh, no, you need this. Oh, now you need this. Oh, now you need this. Oh, well, that new car is coming out. Like, I just got a new car last year, and I'm already thinking about, oh, can I get this? Oh, this is coming out next year. What is this? You know? And it's that programming that I can somehow live on this island unto myself. And if I become the winner of the game, like Jeff Bezos, and I have all the money, well, I'll just build a new colony on Mars and start a whole new planet. Well, good luck with that shit. Um, and it amazes me when we're spending all this money on all that jazz. And every time I hear a figure like that, I'm like, how much they spend? You know how many mouths you could feed on this planet for that money? No. That's all I think about. Yep. Like, yep. you're going to feed your million billionaire ego to go to space, both him and Musk. Yep. And I get it. If you can, why not yeah, do it? Yeah, I but at the same too, time, man. don't you have a conscience at night or a wife that whispers in your ear, there's people starving. You could actually feed a lot of people with it. Versus burning up that jet fuel just to feed your ego. Yeah. Yeah, there's like, you know, it's almost like in a monopoly box, man. There's only so much money in that monopoly box. And there's not one that's doing You can't. You can't. I mean, maybe they're, they do philanthropy work, don't get me wrong, and they give a lot of money away. And I'm sure they do. And I know that Musk has recently, actually. But, and Gates. No, but they were, Gates is, actually, he is the one that's kind of leading the charge on 
on philanthropy for using his fortune for trying to help the planet. Oprah's used a lot of her money helping yes, true, people. True. But I think what we need is somebody to rally around yeah. that we can believe in and not be cynical. Because, you know, my sister and I have this running joke. Neither of us could be in politics. Shit, man, we got dirt in our past. And there is no such thing as a perfect human being. And we are doing it to ourselves yeah. as countrymen. And that's not who you would want anyway. Well, that's not who we would want, who would have no understanding about you people who some suffer, people that's right? Been some tough shit. You would think so. But we have this crazy game we're playing in our heads that our politicians don't cuss. That's the one that cracks me out the yeah. most because those motherfuckers are back in that back room. Mitch McConnell and all those goddamn assholes are going, listen here, you butthead. Yeah, yeah. That's how shit gets done. It's not yeah. pretty yeah. in the back room. They call it sausage making, actually. That's what it's called when they're hammering out policy. So <coughs> if you've ever been to a sausage factory, it's not pretty and it reeks. So, but we have this image, and that's the problem, too, is we put our politicians on the level of our spiritual leaders. Mm -hmm. So now they're supposed to be all God-fearing and this and that. You know, now in France and other countries, if their president has an affair, they're like, it's his private life. It's none of our business. What we care about is how's he doing for our government. So what we do in our country is we'll cast aside somebody that has great abilities to help us as a country get ahead and maybe be ahead of China, but that motherfucker had an affair, so let's just lambast him in the news because he's not perfect. And that's insane. Now, look, you should not have the same principles and expectations from your politician that you do from your preacher. I'm sorry. I think they should be different. The Pope, I would not expect him to be having affairs. (laughs) But some dude... That's yeah. powerful, and you know women are going to be throwing their ass at him. I mean, anybody in power, anybody that's celebrity, you know how much, well, I'm just going to say the word, <laughs> they get offered. And so, you know, you got to be a strong man, turn all that down. I mean, maybe you turn it down most of the time, but that yeah. one time you don't. Yeah. Now suddenly you're out of office. So You can't say that word. We're doing it to ourselves. Because, again, when we're getting back to our theme of darkness, having expectations that certain people should not have any darkness in them at all. And then we... We buy into it, you know? Like, there's certain political leaders right now that they're like, oh, what a good man he is, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, he's selling his soul out to the corporate interests to get where he is, and you're going to overlook all of that travesty just because he voted in this one policy for you. I don't know. It's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, yeah it doesn't. It does not make sense. It's a... Uh... But again, it's, it's... A, it's a world where you can't speak truth. Yeah, you can't. Which is what we're trying to do tonight. The the disparity there about like just how things are as far as like you know movie like somebody in entertainment you know can be doing a lot of certain things and be held up on a pedestal, right? And then man, they make one wrong move in this area, man, and and it's a crash and burn, right? And uh, you know we kick around and it's not right, uh, you know, but. You know, these dudes who are doing this casting couch stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, from what I understand, that's been the deal from the very beginning. In Why many, this in guy many get fields, burned? not just entertainment. Yeah, not but, just entertainment. Yeah. And man, uh, you know, but the, I guess it, it's another one of them, you know, don't get caught or 
you're first supposed to be doing that with some kind of level of integrity that's acceptable. <laughs> uh, and once you step over that level, you went past that. And well, different times, different sensibilities, I guess you could say, because obviously we've changed and evolved some area, in some areas on this. But if I'm honest, man, well, first of all, Bill Wilson had a mistress. This is well documented. And so while he's recovering with his faithful wife, Lois, who stood by his side no matter what, guys, don't crucify me. Go to the AA archives. It's all in there. He had a mistress. And back in the day, that was accepted for men. In the 30s, my grandfather had a mistress. They never talked about it. He never let it interfere with his home life. You were not allowed to bring that home. That was something men had to do. Go do what you got to do. But you never bring that home, rub it in your wife's face. You respect your family. You respect your wife, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm not saying it's good, better, and different. I'm just saying this was part of my own family's heritage. But we never talked about it. Because, again, there's that darkness. Can't talk about the relatives when they passed away in any kind of negative light. Because, yeah. God forbid, who are you not to respect your grandfather? Well, I'm yeah. not disrespecting him. I'm just trying to talk about his truth. What he actually did on this planet. Also did a lot of good, but that was part of the '30s. Men had mistresses. Um, it's a thing that you know. I don't know why it popped into my head, but as far as like the dishonesty that the uh, is that you know all these people dying from this disease, and it never ever hardly ever says what they really. If you had a fatal car wreck, that's what it says. If you had you know if it was medical health problems, they say that. They won't. Nobody. The shame that's behind this thing, and again, it's just propagating the stuff that's not. You know, maybe it ain't dishonesty, but it certainly ain't honesty. Mm -mm. And, and they're that, helping people to die because yeah. that that word's not getting out. If we really knew, it's like hiding it. If we were like showing on the news every night the statistics, like we do for coronavirus, yeah, of how many people are dying from this yeah, if disease. If they put those graphs on, people the would be astonished. And the legal drugs. Like, let's separate them out. How many people died from cigarettes today? How many people died from alcohol today? Yeah. Even just beer. Yeah, astonishing. Yeah. We just talked about this friend of ours that I got a call on our little break we took that uh, he's back, but he's yellow now and his liver's failing and he's puking up bile and he's probably not long for this world. Yeah. And yet, is that going to go on his death certificate? No, liver failure is what's going to go on his death certificate. Yeah. And yes, the, and yet this disease is what killed him. Yep. Same Definitely. thing with my father. My father died from colon cancer, but what took him out was all the cigarettes and alcohol he was consuming. Yep. That's what gave him the colon yep. cancer. I have two particular friends who committed suicide, one at 16 and one at 22, and another handful of guys that died in automobile accidents. And I know today, every one of those people died of alcoholism. Right, but if it's an automobile accident, I believe, and also gunshot wound or something like that, what goes on the desk is blunt force trauma because yeah. they only have so many categories they're yeah, allowed yeah. to pick from. But I know that these people were drinking and driving. Right. And they died in a drunken car wreck or on a motorcycle or whatever. And the same thing, you know, that, of course, suicide is, can't, you know, uh, I guess at some level I'm making a assumption there, but I'm pretty sure that I'm making, <laughs> I'm making the right diagnosis you've on been what down the road. up. You know the territory. I had no idea about it then. Mm -hmm. No idea. Mm -hmm. uh -oh. But it's that speaking truth, and it drives me crazy because um, this disease, even in this day, 2021, is it is still taboo in some ways to talk about. I mean, it's more acceptable now to say you have maybe a problem with drinking. Heaven forbid you should be a heroin addict, even though everybody knows that's an epidemic out there. Yeah. <coughs> and... Uh, 
we have that own that, that prejudice within our own program. Yep. That alcoholics will look down on the drug addicts, and we yep. don't want you to come to our meetings, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, yep. And then even to the point that yeah. <coughs> Uh, how you ingest your, how you take your heroin, they yeah. got their own little hierarchy, you know. They if do. If you're shooting or snorting or what you're doing, smoking it, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, they even mince That's the first thing it. my patients will say is, in fact, one guy said it today. Well, I've done everything but heroin. But heroin. As soon as he says that, I can feel my heroin patients cringing because they're like, what, 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 hold up. What's so bad about that? Yeah. I did that. Yeah. You know? Yep. And those words will come out of my mouth at some point. And uh, that changed. Uh, it vilifies it, makes it even more taboo, you know. Um, the mixed messaging thing of, you know, like, like the death rates for COVID, and, and, and I'm not even making a judgment about whether if any of that is right or wrong, but that's the other thing that seems to be happening today is there's these... Uh, The assertion of of dishonesty gets inserted into it, like the whole deal with how many people are really, you know, those numbers are inflated. If you die of a car wreck, you get, they count it as COVID today. Uh, just interjecting those pieces inside there, you mm -hmm. know, it's just like, it just dirties everything mm -hmm. up. And it's not just there, it's, in, it's everywhere, you know. It's all that little bit of underhanded bullshit that gets placed on any information we're receiving mm -hmm. that causes you, it, that what it does to me, it causes me to throw my flag up and say I give because I don't know what the truth is and then I check out and don't know what the truth is. Uh, hell, I got most of my truth over the past seven years from you. <laughs> uh, from not watching it and you telling me and I trust you and take what you're telling me to be the truth. Uh, it makes it difficult to navigate. You know, it's it's it is tough to navigate the data that we have today. Uh, it's too much data. Yeah, and and you know, and it's a form of darkness. You know, it is that that old you, data overload. You bet it is. As we talk about coming that light in your eyes as a child, and uh, not being able to be happy, joyous, and free. How can I be when I'm worried about this, that, and the other thing? That in the old days, you wouldn't even know what's happening. You know, I always say that same old joke that now we have to know if a fart, if a if a gnat farts in South America, it's immediately on the news feed, like instantly. And what has this got to do with my personal journey and what I'm trying to do today? And so there's two aspects I would throw out. One is you have to have some amount of blinders on to filter out and say, well, that's powerless, powerless, powerless. I can't do anything about that today, so let me focus on what I can do. And then the other thing I'd like to say on a positive is that it questioning is good and in recovery it was one of the first places I found because growing up in an alcoholic family system you're not allowed to question jack shit if they're told this the way it is do it or you get to ask it you know and if dad says this then that's the way it is and you ain't gonna question dad because he might beat your ass so and if he doesn't beat your ass he's gonna yell at you and that's even worse sometimes so we come to treat you come into a program and we do have a lot of taboos in our program right traditions and all that shit and, yeah. oh man don't say bill wilson had a mistress my god well, don't tell the newcomer that for god's sakes well, why not it's the truth doesn't that make bill more human and maybe the newcomer who's had an affair will be like oh bill's just like me then i can understand and get into this program because i relate to bill but um 
I think recovery was the first place I learned that you could question everything and it was okay to do that within proper safe groups. Yeah, if you're in if you don't groups. have a safe group, man, they will take you to task. Yep. Which is crazy. It's not what our program's about. We're supposed to be about tolerance, right? Yep. Yeah. Love and tolerance. Oh. Every time that I happens, that, though, I always look at people and I'm just like, well, they're just human beings, so they're you know they're flawed, just yeah. like I'm flawed. And I can do that today, but when I was brand new, it was another one of the things almost like the inaccurate data. Just you know, shut down. You shovel it. in a little of that inaccurate, put a little, shovel a little doubt down underneath of there, and my disease will pick that up and run with it. Because yeah. I'm looking for a reason not to come to right, these Right, yeah, I'm looking yeah, for yeah. any reason to, to be able to call bullshit on this stuff. <laughs> and if somebody lays a little bit of it out there, I remember a big one in the beginning was when they had this business meeting after a meeting, and I don't know nothing, right? I mean, I'm like in my first months. I didn't really understand the whole home group concept and the meeting thing, but, you know, it sounded like it was something that I should stick around for. And uh, and somebody called the treasurer to task because... Uh, he was reporting that he went to central office and checked how much money this group was was what, to intergroup or whatever. Uh, donating. Donating. Or was he cutting out when he's making his monthly reports? He went and checked him out <laughs> to see if our group, and what he said, he said, this is an upper middle class group and I would think that this group would be putting in a fair amount of money down there. So I went and checked out. This guy's not from in our group. He wasn't a member. You know, he was just a hanger outer you saw him now and again and called the treasurer out right in front of everybody in a damn meeting and uh turned out that when he was down there he didn't know the name of the damn group so <laughs> when he went down there to ask who this they pulled up some other group that was close to it you know and they was giving 10 15 bucks a quarter and stuff and uh and but that was i remember that feeding that that monster in me that didn't want to be here you know, it looked like a reason, well, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, it was completely inaccurate. As a therapist, I'm putting those fires out every day. As soon as I send them out into the world, and they inevitably will look for Come the back. one thing about the meeting that they can bring up the next day to say why it was fucked up yeah. and why they don't like it or they don't belong or I've got anxiety now. Or the meeting made me want to use. That's my favorite one. Oh, my God. Oh, All they talked trigger- about was oh, using. They, they just trigger me, man. If I go to these meetings, I just want to use. And I'm like, dude, you want to use... Whether you're at a fucking meeting or whether you're on the toilet. If you just okay? sit at home, that's your disease right now. You want to use if I fucking show this remote control to you. <laughs> um, that is great. I yeah. do hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. That the one meetings, all they do is talk about drinking and, and, you know, I can't, or the doom and gloom to, that actually was told to me to this past Tuesday night, a guy that was at the meeting. And he said, uh, man, I really liked it. You know, people come to our meeting, they get a whole different taste of it. Usually. They're shell-shocked. I hear that almost consistently. They're shell-shocked. You yeah. can see them. And they don't want to leave. Well, this fellow, I think I know who you're talking about, said said to me that, you know, this was a completely different you know, experience he'd ever had. Like so many of us, he didn't have a he didn't have a driver's license anymore. So mm. uh, he was waiting on a ride, and his ride was calling him, and he was telling them to hang on. <laughs> I'll awesome. be down in a little bit. That's you pretty know? Awesome. And that meant, you know, I thought that was juice, too. That's that he total was juice. Telling whoever that was that I will be down in a little bit. And, uh, but the doom and gloom is what he said. I keep going to these meetings and all here is all this doom and gloom. When that was presented to me, the way I threw it back was I was like, well, the problem is, is that 
we have these two approaches to what we have. So there's some people that are in the problem and there's some people that are in the solution. And so I try to go to meetings that are solution based. Now, I love to hear drama. I love to hear what's going on with you. I want to hear the angst. I want to hear the truth. Let's get that guts shit out yep. on the and table. And the darkness is Burning here. desire. Let's get it all out there. But then just don't leave me hanging and say, well, good luck. <laughs> have a good week. See you next week. Yeah. Give me something fucking to use, man. Give me some tools. I want to hear what you're doing yeah, with that. Yeah. Some guy stand up and talk about a victory, you know, uh, or something as good as going right. on in his life to balance hope. that Give a little bit, hope. you know. On the other hand, I also don't want to go to me where it's all like, sobriety's great, rah, rah, sobriety's great, and then the newcomer can't relate to that at all. Yeah. I always try to throw, you may notice, <laughs> not my style. Yeah. I'll come out from a different angle and talk about I some real it. shit yeah. to say, hey, man, this, they need to know that this is real life so that they can relate. And then I have that Travis bug in me, too, whenever he talks about it. I've had this ever since day one, that when somebody brings up the word God, my mind's like going, oh, shit, what's the newcomer think? What's the newcomer think? How can I, how can I say something to condition that and let them know that we're not talking about yeah. Jesus it's God? Not we're not God talking, you we're think not talking it is. religious God here. <laughs> it's the saddest crime on all humanity, and I believe that our, our world would be completely different if we could just have our own higher power that works for us. And most people won't go there because they're too bound up by what they've been taught. So they've just shut down. If you mention spirituality or why don't you come to this class, they're like, I'm not going there. What are you talking about, TSSR? I don't do that. Yep, that's a, I said there's two things that's so beautiful about AA. We encourage you to develop a relationship with the higher power of your choosing, your conception, and B, and I think this might even be more important than A, is we don't reject one another for who we pick and what we pick. Yeah, not at all. In fact, we celebrate it, yeah. and we try to learn from each other. Yeah. I always make that point when we bring up the higher power issue in my rotation of topics, because we got to deal with that. I'm always, I love to throw out at the end of the meeting, I want you all to note, <laughs> we have just had a three-hour discussion in here in America in 2021. We've been talking about highly charged uh, experiences and ideas and that what happened to you in your church what happened to you in your past what, what did you learn what did you like what did you not like and we all got along there's nobody in here yelling at each other yeah, there's nobody in here take it picking up a gun to shoot you or start a war which is the human race has started wars over religious beliefs. I think it's probably the most, everything else it's probably the biggest contributor and so that's a miracle and I don't know where else on earth you have that. I don't see yeah. that. Well, I will admit there is this interfaith dialogue started by the Dalai Lama and Thomas Merton that is carrying on to this day within the faith institutions. Yeah, but just in the general, just in the general public. Population, no way. No, you can't no, no, talk no. about that shit. What do they tell you if you go to a party? Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion. Yeah. I heard a guy say that on the podcast the other day. He said, uh, I was at some place and I was just waiting for somebody and I had nothing else to do. So I struck up a conversation with this dude and he said, I, 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 picked, I picked up right away he was a Vietnam vet and I could just tell from his demeanor, there's certain topics I do not need to bring up. And as long as I don't bring up those topics, we'll get along great. And they did. They had this great conversation like they're two brothers, da, da, da. But if this guy had said one word on these particular topics, politics, whatever it was, he knew that we would have been at loggerheads with each other and it would have changed the energy completely, which is sad. It's sad that we can't, going back to our topic from earlier, dialogue yeah. about shit that we all think about. You know, 
every human being because of this brain and because of our wiring has the same thoughts, right? And we have this joke in the program that if I have a, had a screen on the side of my head where people could actually see what goes through my head on a daily basis, they would have me committed. But the fact is, even my sainted grandmother had those thoughts go through her head because that's how the brain works. And we can't talk about it. We can't acknowledge it. You gotta be careful who you say to even as we're doing this, judgment. I, I gotta admit, I had a little thought. I, I, said, I had a little thought, like, oh God, maybe I shouldn't have said that shit, man. What if that comes back to haunt me? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't like to have to do it. The fact of the matter is, I do, and I don't. You know, uh, I check my words sometimes, and I don't go down that street. But something, I'm more and more do. Uh, but we did tonight. Yeah, the. Uh, we really did, and I'm glad about it. And it's funny how the strength you get from. Learning who you are in recovery, you don't need other people's approval like you used to. We used to die on that sword yeah. before we had any tools. Hell, like what we say, 20 people in the line could say something great about me. One guy says, you're an asshole. That's the guy I'm thinking about the rest of the night. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't have to me anymore. Doesn't have it. I don't need that guy's approval. I feel pretty secure. Um, I got praise from Ross the other day about that with some of the things we went through starting TSSR. And uh, I said, well, man... I just felt like I was doing, I had my sponsor's approval, I had my support group's approval, and those are the people that matter most to me, and I had my higher power guiding me saying this is where we need to go. So I can be called all kinds of names, I can be accused of all kinds of stuff, and mostly by people who have never come to check it out. That's the funny thing, you know, we have that principle in our program, condemnation prior to investigation. Yep. I am astonished by how many of our members practice that. I watch it on a daily basis. How like, They'll be talking about a dude after me, and I'm like, really, have you ever gone up and talked to that dude about it? Did you ever call him up and say, hey, what's this thing you're doing? Can I come to a meeting? Can I see what you guys are up to? Because I know this. If those guys would come and see how many people have been helped, that would be lost. I could line them right now to do their testimonies. And this isn't a testimony to me. This is a testimony to the tools. So these tools and I'm just a messenger that, of what was taught to me. I'm not the generator. I'm the messenger that was given to me. And these people, what would they have done? One came out of a mental institution, had nowhere else to go. Somebody says, hey, check out this meeting. You don't have to be an alcoholic to go check it out. And now they're taking meetings into the facility to help the patients that are psychologically disturbed. Hell, they're going in there and there's patients not wearing their pants. Yeah. And they're loving it. The majority of them are getting something out yeah. of that. So you're telling me that's a bad thing? to bring people to the light, to bring them to getting their own conception of a higher power, getting free of their demons, healing their past. Now, Why are we of, keeping this to speak, ourselves? Speaking of well, let me say one last thing on this. Just let me say one last thing okay. on this. I heard this on your podcast from that guy a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to say who. Man, sure we good. Yeah, my, if my wife had this. And, my, and I'm sitting there going, you selfish asshole. All of us, including me, sitting on this solution for 86 years, saying, gee, Wish everybody had this. Why don't we do something to remedy that? Anything. Share it with somebody. And now, when we try to do that, oh, well, man, you're going outside their traditions, and I don't know. Man, you got this big ego. What are you doing? Well, why don't you just come check out our meeting, man? Just come see what we're doing. See how we're helping people. And why don't you join on board? Because we need more soldiers. Our planet's going down, in case you haven't noticed. And so... Um, it just bugs me even more to this day. 
um, that and and even I was asleep to it for all the years that I was in the program, and I was saying, "Gee, the world would be better if everybody had this," and I wasn't doing anything to pass it on to anybody. Uh, you know, it, for whatever reason, it seemed to hit me early on, and I wasn't even fully aware of the TSSR thing going on and that kind of thing. You know, that evolved at the same time of feeling like this was something. Why, there was a question in my head: Is why does this just for this little group? Seems like these tools would work, and I'm not like you know. But I couldn't logic that out. But I, that same verse that you would hear over and over again is, well, you know, my uncle and you know, he don't have this program, or my mom ain't working a program, and this guy I was like, why not? This doesn't. Why is that the case? And some of that animosity that happened with the uh, beginning of firing up TSSR, I think, was uh, maybe getting back to some expectation stuff, like we said earlier about setting some expectations. Uh, they had expectations that their loved ones would get on board. Mm, and when hadn't they thought about didn't, that. I heard a lot about that before the book came out. Yeah, and You're when right. they didn't, You're right. uh, the next best thing is to shovel dirt on it. Piss on it. Piss on it. It's an interesting perspective. I don't think they have the awareness to do oh, no, I don't to, think, do, to do inventory. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they. I don't. Again, I think it's. I love that parasitical nature of what's going on underneath of us. You know, our me and me and Travis's little thing is is we now we just say you can see the cord. And because one time we were talking and I said, man, it's just like this dude's got it, the joystick cord is hanging out his ass. You can see it. The, disease the spiritual malady, the disease, alcoholism, whatever we, the devil, all the same you thing you want to call it, is over there driving this guy, and he ain't got a clue. But we can see the cord. You know, you got to have this um, sixth sense that uh, that this thing gives you before you can recognize it. I'll tell you what gave me solace, and I, I have heroes, um, and I think it's an important concept to have heroes. And, and you know, a while ago we were talking about building up politicians. This is different. This is people who set an example that you can learn and, and walk from. It helps you better in your walk. And so like my sponsor Burns, uh, one of the things I love the most about him was his flaws and how he could share them at meetings mm -hmm. and, and be fucked up, even though he's supposed to be this old elder with all the wisdom. The things he would share were so human. It mm -hmm. touched me and drew me to him. Relatable. Right. And so uh, Bill Wilson is another one of my heroes because of how frail and fragile he was. The first two years of his sobriety, he stayed in bed with depression, and he didn't have antidepressants like we do today. And that picture I have him right over there with that rumpled suit and that cigar cigarette, mm -hmm. which ended up killing him from emphysema. Um, he's a real human being, and we deify these people, and that's the wrong way to approach this deal. Um, but Bill himself in the book, what does he say? An even greater example of these principles lies ahead in our perspective, families, schools, and communities, jobs, etc. And so I'm sitting there going, if you really think about what he's saying in that phrase, it's mind-blowing. Because for us, for who people that could not stop drinking and drugging no matter what, we were on a death march. We were going down. And there was nothing that was going to stop me. And this miracle cure comes out of nowhere that if I do this work, this demonstration of these principles, I don't even think about it anymore. I was trying to tell a newcomer about that today. I said, I promise if you do this the way we do it, you will get to the place where it will be removed because that's a promise in the book on page 484. It's no longer existing. It will be removed. 
And so that's enough of a demonstration. But now Bill himself, the founder, from his experience, is telling us a bigger demonstration of the power of these principles and what they can impact on our world lies ahead, which means, in his words, I think he's talking about practicing these principles in all our affairs and carrying the message with others, not just alcoholics. It actually says that in the step 12, carrying the message to others or whatever. It doesn't say alcoholics. Right. Yeah, but I know a lot of people in the program that just limit their sharing yep. to alcoholics and think it's out of their traditions to uh, tell the AA secrets. Hello, and Mark Marin <laughs> on his WTF podcast talks about the secret society because he, you know, he's yeah. more he's more public, yeah. so he has to be very careful he's to say he's a member because you know violate traditions. Uh, and I get that tradition. Don't misunderstand me, yeah. folks, because we don't want somebody set themselves on a pedestal because if they fall, people will say yeah. AA doesn't. He does work. He does a beautiful job of doing it, though. But please. when he calls, I had to, I, have to, I haven't been to a meeting of the secret society in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of which, and I don't mean to pick on him or anybody else, but it's fun to watch people when they're not working their tools and their programs starting to get a little dry, and you can tell in their language and in their tone and in their. <laughs> it's just a general. <laughs> Like nails on a chalkboard shit and bitching about small shit. And he even knows, because he's well enough in the program, he knows he's not going to meetings. He knows he's not taking care of it. And I just want to reach out to him and say, Mark, let me talk to you, man. Um, but sometimes that celebrity, cult of celebrities. Have you ever tried to reach out to him? I did. I, I think you did. Didn't I you? sent an email, but I don't even know if it got through. His, yeah, his, that's the problem. His producer reads all that, I think. But yeah. I thought about trying again because he's going through another period. Yeah. The period he went through before was the death of his girlfriend, and right. it really took him through a dark place, and I just felt compassion to reach out to him. But um, it's really outside the realm of what he does, and I can understand that. His thing is a theme. It's usually famous people. Um but God forbid, I thought it's a service work. And being yeah. your background with recovery, why don't we just have a good old jaw about the principles of what is a disease and why are these people sick and what is really happening in the brain? And I have a lot of that I can bring to him. Um, and then plus share how we're trying to share this with other people and how the whole world is sick. And I think it's right up his alley, but it would take a lot of, uh, add a little bit of outside the box for him to be open to that, I think. Yeah, that really align with his... General. He's even said that about guests were it would seem like they were appropriate, and he's had he's been open about having discussions with his producer and says, I don't know if I'm really you know I don't know if I talk about that or that's my thing you know. Yeah. So, but, but again, going back to my point, you can see a person when they're pulling away from the tools. I just had a sponsee that was doing that get dry, and. Uh, Number one sign we were talking about the other day is just nitpicking the small shit. Yeah, <laughs> like an irritability thing. Bitching you know? about everyday life shit that should not be bothering you that much. Yeah, yeah, you are irritable. <laughs> yeah, there he is, irritable, restless. And uh, yeah, man, uh, this little thing's bugging me, and this little thing's bugging me, and I. Uh, and on the other hand, let's talk about the positive side. When you're in the zone, and you're working your tools, and everything's flowing. I, there's days at work where I really feel like, and it's not an ego thing at all, guys. Please don't misunderstand this. I have an energy going on inside, and I know Shane would really relate to this, that's helping other people around me to keep their energy up. Like they're actually looking for a life 
jacket or a buoy, you know, it's mm-hmm. rocky sea. And I work in a mental hospital, so there's a lot of rocky seas where days where it's like <gasps> panicky crazy. And, you know, I'll go in there and I'll be like, okay, guys, <laughs> it's not brain surgery. Remember what Eric says? Eric's my boss. He always says there's nothing we do that can't be fixed. Okay, and paperwork and stuff, unless you do something really bad with a patient. But generally, it's not brain surgery. You know, you don't have to freak out. Uh, and just bringing that serenity into a situation or that perspective or making them laugh. You know, I, oh, like, yeah. I like to do that. That really lightens things up. If you, if you can't There's laugh, better. you do not need to work in a mental asylum right, if yeah. you can't laugh. <laughs> you got to get them laughing too, you know, because it is. I do it with my patients all the time. Oh, I'm it sure. Disarms I get, them. Yeah. You are, you are a And pro. I'll praise them. I consciously praise them. Like a guy, I did, that to, I did that to him today. I said, Huge. dude, it's good to see you smile. It's good to see you laugh. I don't think I've seen you laugh since you've been in my group. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, wow. I was actually feel like he's praising me for making progress. Yeah. And then they do it more. Yep. Yeah. I love what Marion used to say, my old teacher, that praise was the highest form of service work. Um, Kathy May is big on that too. She would say that, um, like water, like rainwater to a flower, people are walking around all day long with just their problems, the news, and just general fucking life, right? Yeah. And then you go up to them and you praise them genuinely. It cannot be false. You've got to genuinely like yeah. their outfit, to be right. or their hairstyle, or the what genuine. they did in that situation, and really admire it. And then when you pass that on, instead, a lot of times we just sit on it because we're kind of afraid to say something or don't know how to say it. But when you actually do it, you can see them light up. Like they're dying, dying, yeah. literally dying for that water. Yeah. Um, Heck, I can see me do it when I, when I give a genuine thank you to somebody that casually history at Kroger's, you know, rather than, you know, to actually look them in the eye and say, thank you very much. You know, you, you'll see the switch, you know, you can carry that energy around with you. Or here's another point I do, taking their burden on and letting them vent a little bit on you. Um, this woman, Rough day, huh? Yeah. Yeah, this woman the other day, she was at the dry cleaners drive through and uh, she, as soon as she came to the counter, and you know with this economy we have where workers don't want to work these shitty jobs, the attitude pouring off, the energy pouring off was like, oh, man, don't fuck with her. She is definitely yeah. not happy to be here. So I was trying to be as nice as possible. But I ventured. I said, you know, she said, where do you want them? And I said, well, if you don't mind, could you hang them on that thing? But, you know, don't don't hurt your wrist or something. And then she said, oh, honey, I got to tell you, I got carpal tunnel because I do this all day long. And I went to the doctor and she told, and I let her vet on me and tell me about her her, yeah. her pain phone in her wrist. And she started lightening up right before my eyes. And then she started laughing. And by the time I drove away, she's like, oh, but I'm going to be dead soon, so it won't matter. You have a good day. <laughs> and we're both laughing. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened there? I told you what happened there. I gave a shit about yeah, another right. human yep. being yep. for two seconds. Literally, it didn't take 10, 20 seconds. And then take no skin off my nose at all. And it brightened my day to yep. brighten her day. Yep. Contagious. It is. We do. We get to carry in that sentence you said earlier about what, what the, the bigger demonstration demonstration is what we do as we walk, you know, and it's, that is, that's probably, you know, and I get out, it's one of my 100 most favorite things. <laughs> Number one is the fact that I actually can walk around the earth today and like spread good energy where I go. I can, David G talks about, and I wish I could remember the two words, but ultimately it says like, as you move through the world, are you leaving bad juju or good mm, juju? I like that. And uh, or I call it can, adding to the shit pile or creating some beauty. Yeah, yeah. and if you can leave uh, 
good good juju in your wake as you move through the day, no matter what it is. Uh, I find it all the time in my jobs. You know, mm-hmm. clients are not. You know, when I usually when I show up at the door, they're just not very good mood. Uh, by the time I leave, they're fucking happy, and it's not just because I fixed their thing. I, if they're open to talking, I talk to them and I ask them about themselves and I express interest in them and I, and I truly am. And then, you know, when just like what you said, all you got to do is express a little interest in your fellow humans and uh, they'll generally open up to you I, and, you know, it's a, it's a great interchange. I could never do that before this program. Oh, me, I was me, so me. bound by self-centeredness, me, me, me. as Bill Wilson said, caught up in my own world, in my own woes that I couldn't slow down long enough. So literally I had to learn, one of the tools I use, is to just stop and breathe for a second. Mm-hmm. Let the person finish their sentence first. Like, I got it. Because <laughs> I'm already rushing because I know I'm late or whatever. So like, um, something as simple as somebody trying to tell you something and you're running late to group and you're like, okay, stop, man. Be present for this person. And then this morning I found out the person was trying to tell me they had brought cookies to work and don't forget to have a cookie. Yeah. And I was ready to just blow them straight off and run. Well, hell yeah, I want a cookie. What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, but I would have missed all that because I was caught up in self. And so, um, yep. one of the things I was telling my patients this week too, and I'm big on this too, we know from research that alcoholics are passionate people. We, the way we pursue our drugs, the ritualization, the obsession, the amount of time and energy we put into it, we work it hard is a play major hard. passion in our life. I tell my patients, you're having an affair with this bottle. You brought this affair into your marriage. It's a third party. You talk to it, you spend time with it, you think about it, <laughs> and it's all secret. So it's an affair. So here you are, and you've got this passion, and we stop doing it. What do I do now? And what do we hear from people in early sobriety? I'm so bored. I'm so bored. So I try to tell them, dude, you're missing it. Come join our army. We are an army of soldiers who have a purpose today. We have a mission. We are uniquely qualified to save a life where no other people can. Psychiatrists can't do it. Priests can't do it. I've seen it. We have the ability to talk to it. I can win of new patients' confidence within seconds, it yep. seems like. Now, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but this is just from you experience can, yeah. and practicing it. You've been at this a while. And honesty, though, is what it is. I'm just self-revealing. I don't come at them from this high mountaintop of Mr. Counselor. I come at them, hey, man, I'm a drug addict, too. Let's talk real shit. And I curse. It's got me in trouble a couple of times yep. from people being high and mighty, but I'd rather be real. Yep, me too. Than have somebody say, well, you know, you he know didn't really you know what he was to, talking about. When, when who you should and who you shouldn't cuss to, you know, I mean, you've got that discernment. Well, and I've learned how to, do, it's you know, my tone of voice. It's yeah. really how you come at a person. And if you're talking about I or using your own experiences, it's not, you're not in any way offensive. Yeah. Um, it's but this idea of real people, talk, you know, it this old lady may not hear, hear it, but this dude here, mm-hmm. you're going to connect with him because he's hearing you be it's real. A, it's a common uh, feedback I get is that, you know, oh, he's different. I just got that today, man. Um, and I, it just warms my heart because, again, folks listening, this is not a self-praising deal. This is a recognition of these tools and what they can do for a person. Because I just and got through, using this gift that's been given to you by higher power for the purpose it was given to you for. And passing it on. Because like I just told you guys, before this, I couldn't do any of this, right? So this is all the result of the work, all the result of the tools. But uh, this woman who brought the patient over from the Beacon House, um, she was talking about how he was just raving about the whole... And he's a young kid, and I didn't even know if he was going to like me or like this whole deal because he's a pretty bad addict. And, 
obviously, you know, he's seen a lot of rough stuff. So he's going to come in here going, who's this fucking guy, right? This is this old fart, you know? And he loves it. And he's praising it. And then she says, and you know, I got this other guy. And now he works down there. And he loved, he loved it too and everything. We all wish we could send everybody to your group. And I'm like, wow, that's a part. See, I've another thing my sponsor taught me, how to accept a compliment. Yep. I soak them up, man. I soak them up as like God saying, boy." Because you know what? You've got to do that, guys. Don't say, oh, no, I don't deserve it. And you're just refu you're refusing that person the right to love on you because when they give to you, they feel good. And so just absorb it and say yeah. thank you. Otherwise, you're rejecting them. Yes, you are. You're pushing them away, holding them at arm's length. Yeah. You know, somebody said, here, have this good thing. And you so go, no, I, I just, don't want your good thing. So Darren has taught me a lot of this, too. Is yeah. I was just very candidly said to her, oh, that's, that's wonderful here. It makes me feel good inside. Yep. And that's something Darren would say, which is the truth. It makes me feel good inside. Why can't I say that? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I use the same tools in my work when people compliment me. And same you know, thing, what's man. really interesting is when you're having a really bad day. I mean, today was rough. It was a monster day at the Dreaming Center. So much to do. And then God will throw in that little bone to you. Like he's throwing you a little bit of, okay, don't worry about it. You're yeah. still doing good. Yeah. It's all right. You're going to get through. <laughs> and I needed that today. I needed yeah. a little bit of juice. So, yeah. Uh, Without juice, your car can't run, man. And that's really what's wrong with our world and our country today is everybody's dry. There's not much juice out there in the news and Facebook and shit. Yep, the world is dry. So, bringing it all the way back around to our topic, if we're getting to a closing point. Um, if you're not feeling it through the holidays, you're not alone. And it's okay to find someone safe to talk to about it. And it's definitely a great way to heal it and maybe change it, that you could actually have a holiday for yourself. Um, I'm a big believer in taking care of your own little kid inside. And if you did not get the Christmas gift you wanted, maybe go out and get it for yourself. Or at least give yourself some kind of treat. Because a lot of times with our families and all these other things we have to do, got to be there at this time. Gotta, you know, we miss it. Yep. You miss the Christmas spirit for our little kid inside. So try to at least do something that's going to be fun and enjoyable to you. Yep. If I've, uh, <coughs> if I've learned anything, uh, it's about one big thing is is taking care of myself. Because uh, I'm of absolutely no good to anybody if I'm not taking care of me. Uh, and unfortunately for guys, we take better care of our cars than yeah. we do ourselves. Yeah, a lot of times, yeah, we take care of our stuff. Our hunting rifle. Yep, yep. Our stuff better than we take care of ourselves. Uh, I get proud of myself today for the way I take care of myself. I used to, you know, and like this year, I've like had no guilt over being gone every weekend. There's no reason why I can't be. And every time I, my batteries are recharged, and I'm actually like every week, I'm looking forward to that you know and I think that's a real important thing too is have something to be looking forward to mm -hmm. something out there whether it's big or small mm -hmm. have something laying out there that you're going to get to treat yourself with here whether if it's a vacation next summer or uh, sleeping late Saturday <laughs> whatever it is what's so cool is that we can celebrate that in recovery whereas out there in the world if you're different it's like, well, why aren't you like us? Why, you need to be like us. A lot of pressure from advertising mm -hmm. is all about fitting in with us. You got to be one of them and not one of us or vice versa, one of us, not one of them. And so we can, I, when you were doing this, I was like, that's his spiritual practice, man. That's deep in his soul. That's his background. That's who he is. 
I celebrate that. I think it's wonderful. I support it. I celebrate it. Just the same as somebody might not relate to this, but my writing is spiritual for right. me. Yeah. I come out of a writing session that's good, and they're not all good. Trust me. It's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> but when it's good, it's peaceful as fuck. It's as healing as the greatest hit of any drug I've ever taken in my life. I'm, I'm just in a space of wholeness and yeah. everything's all right in my world. And I can carry that bus for the rest of the night yeah, usually until right. I go yeah. to bed. I and think you must have something like that. You got to. Got to have a practice. So, you know, I get tickled, you know. Um, I'm speaking with a new guy today. And the other night, uh, you know, I'm getting around to going, you know, what do you do for fun, man? You know, what, what are you doing? What do you, what stuff you like? You know, well, I like doing my work. No, I'm not talking about that. Uh, <laughs> so many men define themselves by their job. We yeah. talked about that in group said, today. You know, that's a great thing that you like your job. That's good. But I mean, what do you do for really for fun? What do you like to do? And he hadn't hauled around for a little bit, and then he, he's into building these 3D puzzles. You know, hmm. and I was like, you know. Cool. Hell yeah, man. Mm -hmm. That is super cool. And he just got a new one in the mail. And you know, it was almost an embarrassment. Kind of like when the gal had the Lego collection and she wouldn't want to tell me what. I'm trying to make that shelf for her and I can make her anything she wants. <laughs> and she don't want to tell me what she's putting on it. And uh, and she's like kicked around at her feet, you know. Well, I collect Legos looking down at the floor, you know. Like it was something to be embarrassed about, you know. Which I think is cool. And to totally let her off the hook, too. And that was one thing. I mean, to watch that girl's spirit shift when I said, well, that is cool as hell. Let me see them, you know. And you saw her light up. And then when you, she showed me, now she's excited. She's telling you about this and then telling you about that one. And the same thing with this guy the other night. He's like, well, I'll send you a picture of what I'm done because he just got a new one in the mail. I said, no, you won't. You're going to send me pictures in process, you know, and you could hear it lift. And it's like giving them permission, you know, like, like they need it or something, you know. And, and sometimes, we, I guess, you know, sometimes we do need permission. That's one of the valuable things of this program is that with these relationships you know, we yeah. build with one another, we give each other permission to yes. be ourselves. Yes. And I would take it further and say verification. It's almost like they're little kids peeking out around the corner. Yeah. Say, is it's it okay. safe to play? Is it safe to come out? Yeah. And then when they do, they're like, oh, this is kind of nice. One of my favorite topics to bring up, and nothing shuts them up more than this. I mean, you think getting them to talk about their stories is hard, and it is hard to get them to talk about their real truth about what's alcohol doing to your life, et cetera. Um, but to get them to talk about what they love to do that they put aside. You know, what did you do as a kid? What did you used to, oh, I never used to do anything. I, I never really had any interest. I said, bullshit, man. There is not a kid out there that is not fascinated with something. Now, Catherine told me about her child. is loves the ocean. And I was like, oh, Catherine, you got to get him like an encyclopedia of every living thing in the ocean for Christmas. That's the first gift that came to my mind. I haven't even told her yet. I need to, to tell her Marco Polo on that. Um, but every child has interests and curiosities, and yet they're so dead. The disease has deadened them so much they've lost all that. And uh, so redeveloping that in sobriety. So when I finally get them talking about it, man, they light up, right? Yep. And then you get their eyes change and their whole visage changes, their their aura changes, their color changes. And I'll let them go. Because I, 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 once I've got them going, I'm like, oh, yeah, just keep going, keep going. Yeah. I'm like feeding them. And then after they finish, I'll go, guys, were you guys watching the screen? Because we're on Zoom. Did you guys see what just happened there? Did you see that shift in energy? Didn't that look like I just gave her a hit of something? Doesn't that just look like I gave her a drink? So what's the difference? You did not have to have a drink to be that excited about something, yep. to be that enthused about something. It's in there. 
It's in there. It's just been killed or suffocated or smothered by your illness, by your disease. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love yeah. to point that out too. Flip side of that. Because they all come in thinking, you know, now I'm sober, I'm never going to have fun again my whole life. Right. That exactly. So I'm going to try, I think I'm going to write a book and it's going to be the top 10 myths. <laughs> Uh, and one of them is I'm never. You know the other one you've ever put in there? I hear a lot is I'm never going to have good sex again. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got to be hard to have sex. No, yeah. you don't. No. 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 In fact, it's better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. feel more. There's more than ten, but it's kind of like a Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life. There's more than twelve, but here are twelve. <laughs> <laughs> so there's more than ten myths, but that that definitely is up in the top. Two or three. And I'd say something about that that you taught me because you really exposed me to Jordan Peterson. And when we went to see him speak, and we had those protesters across the street. That's the first time I ever seen Antifa picking up on one or two things he might have said that were not, you know, sanctioned or approved. Soundbite. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, wow, this guy's just talking about a free exchange of ideas. He's literally just throwing shit out to make you think which is what all the good teachers did. God forbid Socrates in his days would have been canceled yeah. because you're supposed to challenge your students. You're supposed to make them. And I even get sometimes slack about that. Like, oh, well, why did you uh, do this or that? I say Because it's good to have them off balance. It's good to make them think about things they don't think about. It's good to get them engaged. Yeah. Sometimes you have to grow, throw a fuck you, to, you out there to get yeah, them engaged because right, yeah. they're Wake asleep. Exactly. And... Um, and any good teacher does that. If you, I don't care, especially spiritual teachers. If they're not challenging you or making you frustrated, or and I, whenever my patients say, "Man, you're pissing me off," sometimes I say, "Good, I got your attention." I may be the only, as the healing place says, the only speed bump you get before you go off the cliff. Mm-hmm. And speed bumps are not comfortable. Not when you're going 100 miles an hour. Great life. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So then. Uh, the word, a word that's being tossed around by some of these guys that I still, and Peterson is one of them, but there's some other ones. They're, they're using two of them. They call them the Dialogos. Hmm. And what they're talking about is just this free interchange of ideas and watch what comes out. And especially you know, if you got a few people that are relatively evolved people can toss ideas. Open-minded. And like, and then like when you've said, you do it a lot, you know, I'll say something and you'll take, take it a little bit down the line or in another direction or whatever and watch that happen and that like I said that's what one of them says flat out that you know we are growing and discovering these concepts <laughs> by uh, <coughs> conversing about open freely. discussion yeah, open that's discussion. actually called the Socratic method where he would just discuss with his students and they would just challenge yeah. each other and talk dialectic and dialogos mm-hmm. I don't know why the words that's the ones they're using but um, Mark Mark likes it a bunch and out of my circle him and I are the only ones that are like gelling on it you know so we do sideline Marco Polo's about listening to those and if we hear something particularly juicy we'll go to 1042 on you know and and hmm. listen to them and they are but they're actually things you have to think about while you're listening it's like it'll go right over my head when I'm uh, when I'm working it's it's something that needs to be listened to, but that's what happened here tonight. This I like this, and I would like to do more of these actually. And something has hit me a little bit with that to start having guests on, where we just knock around ideas mm-hmm. and talk about our feelings about things and our conceptions of these principles and how we apply them in our lives. 
and, uh, and, and let that flow a little more. And it happens in my stories usually, you know, when somebody tells their story, a somewhat version of that happens too. But this complete free flow of, of t talking where we just kind of start out with an initial concept, which in case you weren't, or if you weren't, uh, if you've lost us by now, it's, it's, it's the darkness that is uh, amongst us. That we us. don't talk about, the things we don't talk about. Yeah, the stuff we don't talk about. So uh, I even forget, and I did it. You know, I talk about having these podcasts, and I sit there with a guy, and they're always worried about it, and they're nervous and unsure of themselves and afraid they're going to say something stupid. And I actually see their eyes casting onto the microphone at times. And then at some point in the podcast... They're no longer looking at that microphone at all, and I can tell that that microphone has just disappeared, and the person is just over there talking to me. And uh, and tonight, my own microphone disappeared on me, <laughs> and I forgot we were sitting here recording this. Hmm. You know, that dialogue we have with our sponsees, and one theme emerges, I'm sure you've seen, is how we're all human. Mm -hmm. There are so many similarities and commonalities between us, no matter of race, color, creed, background, whatever, that just run as part of the human experience. And of all people, I was listening to Halle Berry, the actress on Mark's podcast, and of course he's a little dry right now, so he wasn't feeling the subject, but he was, she was trying to say, you know, these, these people are just suffering, and once you get your idea around that, she was really talking about the Buddhist approach, then you can see that they're just acting out of their own background. They're acting out of what happened to them. And then he was still on the, yeah, but fuck them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand that too. That's part of the human experience as well. Uh, but you have to have the right people, because I was thinking about that for my own podcast that I'm thinking about starting up. Um, having that free exchange oh, of yeah. ideas, you got to have the yeah, right you people have to, to pick do your it. guests. Because yeah. there's I, I a lot of people do, are so close-minded. Yeah, I wouldn't do what I do with guests, where I just pretty much roll the dice out there and let. There's going to be people that listen to this and maybe go, oh, "What the fuck are they talking about?" Yeah. But I've had guests okay. that I would like to invite back to do. More and my them. idea is that I think there's a hunger in the population for free discussion. I mean, look at the popularity of Joe Rogan. That yeah. guy goes all out there and, and he's just being himself. It's the whole podcast medium is what just that being is. Real. Yep. A free flow of ideas. And what's neat about that is it feels intimate. Like you get a little insight into the person. Like, you know, the thing I do like about Mark's podcast is he's very human on it. Mm -hmm. He talks about his own life. Absolutely. I enjoy that more than the guest, to be honest with you. Wish he would do more of the lead. Um, I like when he goes off in his own rants. That's why I like Bill Burr's podcast. Yeah. Uh, because we're all thinking it, but nobody's saying it. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, I went into the Mark Marin rabbit hole working a couple of weeks ago and listened to George Clooney, and mm -hmm. I can't remember. There was a handful of them. That, Man, uh, he's a pretty stable guy. He's got a very stable well. take on life for a guy that's a millionaire celebrity. He's very down to earth. Yeah, yeah, very. Just uh, like uh, Brad Pitt is when you hear him talk. My old buddy Brad. So, I guess we, we should probably go around it. wrap this up with a finisher or whatever we yeah, want to say. say. a concluder. You know, he stopped doing that. It's kind Who? of funny. Uh, Steve Ranella, that podcast guy, would say, let's oh, go around really? the room and do a concluder. Yeah. I don't hear him say it anymore. Well, it's, now, it's yours now. Yeah, I say, yeah, now I'm taking over. And also, the dude who uh, does the email that where I stole, if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. He's changed that, too. So uh, <laughs> he's saying something differently. It's some variation. Uh, he might have took the damn out of it. And I think he took a little bit of the 
you know, it does point at you that it's your fault, and they're, you know, I balk a little bit at that to some extent because it's not necessarily all my fault. Um, but that's not the that's not the gist of it. And the gist of it is is they're trying to spur people to get, get active, do yeah, something, right? yeah. participate in like. your recovery. Not it's your fault. Well, I had this discussion with a patient this week about uh, the difference between being praised for doing good group work is not your future. <laughs> that this group was coming to an end very soon. It's a temporary safety That's bubble. Great. It is not preparing you for your disease. You have got to get a support group. You've got to get a support oh, I don't see how you can praise me on the one hand and then tell me I'm not doing anything. Dude, first of all, I didn't say you weren't doing anything. That is your alcoholic mind mishearing what I'm saying. I'm saying that you're not doing enough to prepare for when you leave. And I actually had other patients chime in and say, yeah, you gotta listen to him, man. He's right, the disease is doing push-ups right now. Yeah. As soon as you leave here, and I warned him all the time, your job has not changed. Your family has not changed. Your neighborhood has not changed. The only thing that's changed is you came here to this building or on Zoom, and you've been here for a few hours a day for a few weeks. That is not gonna change what you're heading back yeah. into, man. That shit show yeah. that you left, that you could not go through a day without using because of that shit show, it's exactly the same. And every single one of my patients who works for a major corporation in town, and they send their people to us, and we're very thankful for that, they all say that, yeah, man, as soon as I got back that first minute, yep. I think our friend Andre said that, he said first minute, that motherfucker said something that just made me want to choke him. And I've been gone for three, four, five weeks, whatever. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to warn you all about. No, one guy we was talking to the other day, he's only just getting a taste of it, and he's already impacted, you can tell. Uh, the one problem with that is that uh, the timing of that window being open thing, you know, how fast it can just slam back down and mm-hmm. the guy can be on fire and really be and then go something. Fuck and bam! Uh, so you never know. But uh, I did encourage him. I said, at least stick around till Thursday. I said, because Thursday, you know, it kind of gave him a little idea about, you know, because then you're going to get to see these other people. And that's what he saw in our meeting. He saw these people like thriving in recovery. And, uh, and I know that's what touched him. Um, and those people that are somehow or another stumbling, what do you, what was it? Stumbling, bumbling, and... Rumbling, bumbling, and stumbling. <laughs> Rumbling, bumbling, and stumbling <laughs> into your outpatient. Uh, they have no idea the gift they're getting to be able to sit and be educated about this disease by you. Um, well, they're going to hope for sometimes. I am convinced. Uh, I don't know, but I don't think there could be. I don't think there's anybody better. Well, I don't think there's anybody better. There might be people better. as good. <laughs> there might be some people all leveled out there, but the way that you do it touches people at a level that is the percentage rate of being the impact. Whether it's six or not, it's not our problem, right? Well, but they're all mostly impacted, and your your the way you teach about this uh, is, is just fantastic. Well, I'm going to say thank you because that's a compliment, and I just got through saying that I could accept compliments. I do want to say that a good therapist is always trained that it's really about the fit for people because some therapists, I've had people come in and yeah. I was just not the good fit for I can, them I can no matter that. what I tried and then we had to give them somebody else. So that, that's always good to have that humility. But, you know, but we have the a running, education we have, on what this disease does doesn't come any better. We have a package. running joke at work because we have these appraisals at the end and the hospital is so, this is corporate life, man, kind of stuff with the system. 
they will not like give the person the hint that you can really love on your counselor at this part at the end. You know, got to check all your boxes, rate this, very good, satisfied, not satisfied. And then at the end says, if there's somebody you would see th like to see thanked or praised, list their name below. So it doesn't really say, write something nice if you want to write say something nice about your treatment. Fuck, they're denying us that little bit after I spend six weeks trying to help this son of a bitch. Give me one fucking line, right? Well, my patients, they're not rule followers, so they just write whatever the fuck they want down there. And we have this running joke that a majority of a lot of them will write, Chris needs a raise. And my boss is like, well, at least this one didn't say you need a fucking raise. Jesus Christ. <laughs> And it is, it's humbling, and it's like, I can't explain to people that are just starting out when they hear this, they think, well, these guys are just having an ego fest praising themselves. Guys, anytime I feel a compliment or I get that experience of love coming back to me from this life that I have today, I'm humbled from where I started from and that I did not have any of this prior to doing the 12 steps. This right. is what the fire is that I have and that Dan has if there's going to be a concluder to pass this on to everybody i wish the world could have what we have to live on this fourth dimension that bill says when i point out to people as a writer he couldn't think of anything else to describe it in this universe which is three-dimensional so he had to use the words it's the fourth dimension of existence i think that's very telling he was not a writer and yet that's perfect and so you tell people that and they just glaze over and they're like, yeah, 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 I've heard all that Jesus rah-rah before. When I haven't even mentioned Jesus, but that's what they hear. And uh, it's the game changer. And when I hear people use that word, a guy came back to my group and he said, yeah, when I first got this program, it was a game changer. And then I had another patient say, first time I used it was a game changer. I said, that's what we have. Was what you got that first time you used. It's just that it takes a little bit longer to get it. It's not that instant. Oh, it's hit. fast acting. Yeah. Well, you know, you so, wouldn't be able to tell a guy how good heroin was. You can't describe it. And it's no different here. Mm -hmm. you know, Even you your best orgasm, you can't describe that either. You can't either. describe that either. Or what I heard somebody say the other day is, uh, try to describe the taste of a strawberry to me. <laughs> you cannot describe the taste of a strawberry. It tastes like a strawberry. <laughs> What's that taste like? And, and that's, to me, was a really good analogy of trying to describe somebody what their life can be if they will run this down. If you will work these steps and practice these principles in your daily life, uh, this is what will happen for you. You know, and, and that bragging about what sounds like we're bragging about, you know, is just these dudes trying to sell you on the product that has saved and changed their lives. You know, it's not blowing off about it. They're not bragging. They're not doing that. They're trying to get you to understand this is only that you can have this too. And you know what's interesting about that statement is that we live in a culture. The whole American culture is based on the hustle. Buy my product. This is the best, the greatest. This will do. This will change your life. I'll take about that later. This will change your life. It's the game changer. Blah blah blah. But if we do that in the spiritual realm yeah. or with this, you're assaulting me. <laughs> it's promotion or it's proselytizing, however you say that word. Or, yeah. And it's like, dude, I'm not allowed to be enthusiastic about what I have. Yeah. You know. It's changed my, it's entirely it's, changed I'd my. I'd saved my damn life. Of when, but like even when people, the uh, Mormons knock on my door. 
I have a better attitude today, you know, because mm-hmm. all they're doing is the same thing I'm trying to do when I'm sitting Share in a post step meeting, man. Say, hey, this is working for me, and I don't know if it will work for you, but here it is if you would like to try it. <laughs> and we'll go slam a door and call them assholes. And <laughs> <laughs> like like the old days. The good old days. Yeah. <laughs> but that's similar to what happens here. They slam the door. And say, or they no, come, they come, and they um, we're so trained on the instant fix in our culture. It's like, oh, you're going to ask me to read a book? Yeah. Oh fuck, that's just insurmountable. I can't read a book. <laughs> Nobody reads a book nowadays. Yeah. And 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 it's funny that the the bipolar feedback I get because just today I had a patient who uh, had gotten the book through the group, and they said they couldn't put it down. They said mm-hmm. I started reading it, I turned off the TV, I turned off all the noise. And I could not put it down. And I even had to look up certain words on Google. But when I read the word, what it meant, it made total sense. And I was totally, and she started crying. Mm. It touched her that much. Wow. And I told her, I said, I wrote that first chapter for you, for everyone that's out there suffering alone to, and saying to themselves, my life should not be like, like this. this. And in general, life should not be like this, what we're doing right now on this planet. And uh, it doesn't have to be. We found something else. Yep. Yep. And that is another fundamental thing, man, because there's just a lot of people I know with, you know, just like this happy, holly, jolly bullshit. Mm-hmm. And we do happy, holly, jolly, moving through life kind of thing. But when I'm sitting there by myself drinking that morning coffee or sitting on the edge of the bed renting to lay down at night going, my life should not be like this. There's got to be it's something got more. To be more. There's got to be something more than this. If this is all there is, fuck it. Fuck it, might as well get high tonight. Yeah. I used that for many years. Yeah. But I always like to encourage my patients to say, and this is different. You don't have to be holly jolly. This, in recovery, you get to be whatever you are. Get to be it's you. about truth. It's about who you really are inside. And I'm, I keep telling them I'm writing this really dark book that I think people are going to read and say, is Christopher okay? <laughs> it's like Christopher is fucking great because he's getting this out. He's sharing it. He's putting it into an art form. That's the highest level of expression when you can really put it into a yeah. story or something and have it be productive instead of self-destructive, which is all we used to do with our darkness was self-destruction yep. in the past. Well, I know you're pretty pretty well, and I can't help but think when I read it a little bit of going, Christopher, okay? <laughs> so I think that actually is a, uh, that's a attaboy to the book, too, that the same way when I was talking about reading that stuff and being affected. Well, I think of it in the opposite terms. But okay, I so I work it. in a mental hospital all day long, and I'm doing with the woes of the world and really dark, depressing shit. And then I come home and I work on this dark, depressing book. You would think I would be ready for the cuckoo house, but I keep telling people it's the opposite. And that's what I hope for my goals for the book, that they come out with a catharsis, which really in Greek tragedies was always the, the goal of all their best works was they wanted the audience to have this deep meaningful tough journey through the story and then come out feeling like there's a release and oh okay all right cool everything's all right yeah not walt disney all right but everything's all right cathartic since i can't say his last name and i probably can't say his first one either fedor Oh, Fyodor, I think Fyodor. it is Fyodor, Fyodor uh, Dostoevsky. That's the way it kind of feels like reading his stuff too. You you have this want to muscle through it, and even in the audio, it's you know one of the books was twenty four hours or something. You know, that's a lot of 
and, and you get through it, but there's a thing of, yeah, suffer through it, mm. sort of. Suffer, Because yeah. there's pieces in it that's kind of dry, and that's what Mark called me today, and he was like, man, I'm reading that Brothers Kasmarov, and, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm close to halfway in it, but he said, man, oh, it is just dry, and I don't... But also say, if it ain't him, you to quit reading it. True. And I can't explain why at 16 when I read Notes from Underground, I was like, what, what is this? Me and my best friend read it together. And oh, right. I don't know how we stumbled onto it, to be honest with you. And uh, just fascinated, fun. fascinated by the voice. Yeah. By this new voice that came out of nowhere that was just... This is different. Yeah. That's kind of interesting in audiobooks, too, because they'll have somebody with a Russian accent oh, yeah? read them. That is interesting. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I've got to listen to that. Although I've kind of been staying away from it so that I don't let it infect my writing. Yeah, you know? I can understand. I yeah. can totally understand why you would want to do that. No. Yeah. Um, I don't want to put a phrase in there that comes from him and be accused of plagiarizing. Yeah. Yeah, I can see how that could kind of bend your... I don't know, and you know, I gotta hope that there's still an audience out there that likes to, my romantic idea, just real quick, is when I was growing up and you know, young adulthood in college and everything's new and you're learning all this crazy shit, if you found a book that really spoke to you, and I don't know if the kids know about this nowadays, you would like carry it in your back pocket, a little pocketbook, you know, and you, every chance you could coffee break or fucking you know between classes you couldn't wait to stick your nose in there yeah. and get more of this like oh shit what is this shit? and that excitement I still gotta believe there's an audience out there that wants that sure. not just to read some politicians wham wham memoirs or some celebrity crying about their poor life and all their bullshit they've or been David through. Goggins can't hurt me <laughs> <laughs> I listened to half of that and I had to quit <laughs> but a story that really just you take your time with. You want to take your time with it. You don't want to read the last page at a time. Yeah. You just want to go on the journey with it. And yes, it does take a little bit more of a commitment, more of a discipline that, you know, and like Mark was saying, I don't know about this, but the payoff, man, it's the journey, not the destination. Yeah. We are so destination oriented in our culture. You know, tell me the end, tell me the end. what happens, what happens. It is a little tough sometimes to not want to do that. My book was Jubal Sackett. Yeah. Louis Lamar. Oh, okay. It was cool. uh, 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 one of the, he wrote this story, this set of stories about the family migrating from Europe here in the early winter that like living over there in Europe. And then this is one of the like first generation guy who got here and he was, uh, you know, like a maybe the um, the bad, bad Brad Pitt role in a river runs through it kind of thing, yeah, yeah. and uh, and just wild and adventurous, and he didn't have a horse, and he ran everywhere, and would run miles, and just all the adventures that he had, man. And I've read that book, uh, I bet I've read that book a half a dozen times. I could cool. not get enough of it. Really cool. With that adventurous woods tromping. Sneaking around, hiding from Indians, uh, killing your own food, and cooking it. And, and I don't know if there's books like that out there anymore. I mean, I don't know either. I'm, there's first of all, there's a billion authors, so of course there's books out there. We just don't know about, them, or they're not getting rightful attention. Right. But 
it seems like I can always read through and then I'm like, okay, so what do they say in the books about? And there's always this angle. Oh, it's a immigrant angle of coming from a country and doing this. Oh, it's a angle of rags to riches or, oh, it's an angle of family tragedy. And it's hard for me to look past that gimmick to enjoy the story because I kind of already know where they're coming from and what they're selling. Mm. Whereas I feel like this book's a little bit different that you go into it and you're like, where's he going with this? <laughs> what the hell? Did, I mean, did you have that experience oh, yes. when you were Yeah, in? yeah, definitely. The whole way through, you know, and that's what's, you know, and I understand what Shane's going through. Of, uh, and I want that to be a hook, of, that it's uh, like, I want to see what happens. Hooking and wanting more of it. And, and, and he's having to wait a long it. time between yeah. chapters with this final edit. The poor guy yeah. just finally gave yeah. more chapters yesterday. Yeah. Give him a little taste of what I do <coughs> with the TSSR book, waiting between chapters. <laughs> he likes it, man. And I'm yep. telling you, I hear him. He's, he's got insane it. eyes, man. He found some things that don't make any sense that he should have been able to find a missing comma that was a period or something because it was a mistype. And, yeah. and there's I'm absolutely like, no reason in the world why he should be able to do that. How do you see that out of 50, 60, 100 pages I gave you? And you yeah. picked that one little sand pebble out. Yeah. That's insane. Golly. I don't know if he still listens to my podcast or not. He does, periodically. Because he shouldn't be able to do that, really, unless he's pulling some kind of stunt out, like when he's talking in his day-to-day. He has he says so many bad words, <laughs> wrong words in yeah. his day-to-day conversation yeah. that sometimes you almost think he, you know, but then the other, it's almost like a savant thing of being able to, like, read it is. this and he, pick it he out. He says it's a rhythm thing, like he's reading it and then something just seems wrong. It'll just stand out to him, like, that's something's not right there. And what I liken it to, I, I make jokes about this, the movie Constantine with Cano Reeves. There's this bald-headed heavyweight guy who reads scripture by doing this with his fingers as he's going over it in Braille and his eyes are flitting back at his head. And I'm like, that's Shane right there reading my book. Just fucking talking to the spirits and seeing the bad things that are missing. I'm glad there's not Heck that yeah. many, yep. but there's and more glad than he's I he's catching thought. the ones that he is. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, uh, how many times have I been over these chapters and I'm still missing shit? That's forest for the trees. I know. You're too busy looking at everything and you yeah, just miss there's it. There's just no way to have Plus it your brain it. fills in the blanks when there's a word missing. Right. You just yep. read it and, yeah. Yep, yep. So it's never going to be perfect, perfect. Well, we better close this thing up. Yeah, we said we were yeah, going to work to. tomorrow, unfortunately. Uh, but. <laughs> I was. I had a couple of tricks I was going to pull at the beginning of it. Uh, I listen to these podcasts. I like tricks. Give me a trick. And uh, and it said, uh, you know, we have something for you. So if you've listened to the end of this podcast, the very end of the podcast, if you made it to the very end, we've got a couple special gifts. But you'll have to chime in on the uh, on the Facebook page and and say you finished the whole podcast. And um, so. I meant to say that at the beginning as a teaser to stick you all the way through, but if you made it to now, let me know. And and, and we got a gift for the first two people that post. They made it to the end. Uh, I was starting to wrap it up with that big compliment, but I do, I love you to death, man. And I love doing this. And I like, I just, I gained so much talking to you. It's, that's a growth thing. You know, it's not just friends and it's that too. But uh, the podcast and speaking to you raises my spirit and brings things to the table that I haven't thought about before. Every single time I talk to you, I get something. Heck, every time you share in a spiritual underground, you know, and we've been bumming around seven years now. And that's a pretty good little time. And uh, 
and and you bring, keep bringing this new stuff to the table that keeps me thinking. And so I appreciate you tonight. I appreciate you helping me in this idea of doing this tonight. I appreciate you in general. Uh, I love you, and I don't know what I'd do without having you in my life, man. And if there's a message out there beyond that, is that uh, I promise you, listener, you need that in your life too. Uh, Bill says this one another one of my favorite lines you must be completely honest with someone if you are going to live long and happily and I believe that's the truth and I believe that's why this these type of relationships right here uh, were, are built and formed is for that so it's an honor I mean it's it's I never in my life thought I would have anything of worth to teach anybody be honest with you. I mean, I had an ego, but I didn't have worth. I didn't have wisdom. I didn't have things of genuine benefit to people that could change and help their lives. And the program has given me all of that. Um, for those of you who don't know, so we're going on about one fifteen in the morning, and we both have to get up for work in the morning. Yeah, and I didn't and uh, Dan was going to come over at eight thirty, but then I had a rough day, long day, and I wanted to get some writing done, so I asked him to come at nine. And then he was on his way over, and I think he almost got here, and he realized he forgot his podcast equipment. So he was like, well, I mean, I can come later unless you want to bag it. And I'm like, bag it? Nothing, dude. I've been looking forward to this all day. This has been the bright spot of my day to be able to talk about darkness to my friends. And I'm high right now. Me too. In case you all can't feel that across the airwaves there. Me too. Uh, this is how we heal by sharing each other's stories and sharing our truths without judgment, destructive personal gossip, all those things we talk about in the spiritual underground ground rules. And I'm probably going to have trouble sleeping because I'm going to be so high from this. But I know I can use that tomorrow morning in my aftercare group as a topic to bring up what we talked about tonight and get some other people to heal. Because like they say, you can't keep it unless you pass it on. So this is an honor for me to be in a position where I have anything to pass on of worth because <laughs> nobody wanted to talk to me or take my phone call when I hit my first treatment center. They were pretty much, okay, we're going to ship you 857 miles away from here. And if you come home, never, but not right away. <laughs> and uh, and I always like to tell my patients when they want to bellyache about their situation, not a penny in my pocket, literally. I did not have a dollar or a penny on me when I was shipped to treatments. I was virtually homeless to come from something like that to a place where I get to help this world to heal and that's my purpose today and finding out who you are you know Darren teaching me that I'm a truth teller and that's why I get so much shit in life because people don't want to hear truth <laughs> but it's helped me to embrace that gift instead of being afraid of it you know what I mean I don't do it I don't use it just to cause fights but I use it to honor it, that this is one of my gifts, that I have this, and it helps my patients. It causes a lot of distress at times, but it does help them in the long run. And I'm also someone that wants to teach and wants to heal and help. Help. I've always wanted to help. I didn't know that about myself. Prior to coming in this program, I was like thoroughly programmed, American adult male, get as much as I can for myself, get as many women as I can for myself, get the hottest cars I can get for myself, everything I can get for myself, period. That's all I knew, consumerism to a place where I just want to give it away now. I just want to fucking give it away. Just keep giving it away. Because now, the reaping the rewards of that, 
I have more people in my life that give a fuck about me than I've ever had in my entire time on this planet. Mm. And I, I, I think about that sometimes, you know, the Buddhists have a practice of meditating on their own impermanence every day so that they remember time is short and this day is one of a kind and don't sleepwalk through it because you're going to die one day. It's going to be all over. And so I like to stop and think, you know, if I were to die today, who's going to fucking come to my funeral? Hmm. Or what are they going to say about me? Are they going to say some nice shit? Or are they going to say, eh, he's a drinker. Yeah, he liked his beer. Put that in his tombstone. He really Finally lo- he got lo- him. He loved his cocaine. And um, I guess what I'm trying to say ultimately is I don't feel like I deserve it. It humbles the fuck out of me. I really still have that hangover from my using days of being a dirty, disgusting jerk. That I'm just like, I, wonder, I don't deserve any of this. I'm no special. I'm not different than anybody else. And I think the more I'm honest about that, the more, again, it draws people to you. Yep. That they feel that same way, too. And they, I always try to coach my patients. You're going to do greater things than I do, man. If you're just getting this deal, you can have everything I have. I always, I always envied the old timers who had that shit. You'd see them, people would go up to them after the meetings, want to talk to them, pick their brain, you know, shit like that. And I was like, God damn it, how come they don't want to talk to me? Well, I didn't have anything to to give out. So to be in that position, um, it's not to be missed, guys. You have worth and you have real work to do on this planet. And it's being distracted while we're chasing all this other shit. So enjoy your holidays. Do something for your little kid. Have a great fucking time. But after the first of the year, I'm going to challenge somebody who's listening to this, wherever you are, pick up this goddamn book and try it. Give it a fair shot. Commit to it. I like when Travis says when he came in, I didn't believe any of this was going to work for me, but I was in a desperate place of almost being losing everything. And I said, fuck it. I'm just going to do this for three months. Give it everything I got. He's a Marine. So when he means everything he got, he means everything. He's going to be a man and commit, not just halfway. And uh, he never looked back. Now the motherfucker's on fire. Yep. Loves it. His whole yep. life has changed. Everything's so much better. Yep. So well, I'll I, tell you. I wish this for everybody. That's that's my final word. Same here. And uh, the surreal feeling I, I get taking what you've taught me and passing it on to another guy and watch that shift happen. Uh, there is no better high in the world, I don't think, than uh, than than doing that. And it, it feels out of body, you know, when you're doing it. When I'm working with a guy, I feel almost like this ain't me. There's something working inside of me that ain't me. Because uh, kind of like you said, that thing is like, I'm not worthy of what I'm doing. I'm not mm-hmm. capable of doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I, I or I, I couldn't have come up with that one thing I just said that yeah. they needed to hear. Yeah. That was God working through me. Yeah. And, uh, man, it's a blast. So it stupid. is a blast. Yeah. It's fucking fun as shit. Yeah. I'm going to have the best day tomorrow. I don't care how tired I am. I'm going to be like, dude, you should have been there last night. We had a great fucking yeah. time. They'll have to stick around till Sunday. And, if uh, they'll listen to they'll it, to, now we can't even get people to listen to a damn podcast. Crazy, <sighs> sad. Yep, but, you know. So I'm just going to sit here and binge Netflix. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's like dodging the recovery. It's that disease concept that that parasite says, "Don't listen to that. Mm-hmm. Watch that. Mm-hmm. Anything. Mm-hmm. Toenails need trimmed, buddy. <laughs> uh, find anything to do besides to." Uh, participate and put some effort in uh, into my recovery 
So those are my closings every time. I thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll keep rolling this thing. I am, uh, if, you, if you're listening to this and would like to tell your story, or if you just like to sit down and shoot the shit like Christopher and I did today, uh, contact me. We'll get you on the schedule. Participate in our recovery. See what kind of juice comes out of it. Get high like Chris and I have done tonight uh, in, the, in the real way. Uh, the real juice. And so if you're not having a blast in your recovery it's your own damn fault and thank everyone out there for allowing chris and i to participate in our recoveries in this manner tonight peace out ho 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 everybody